0: Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Gentle Vibes, a vintage shop for the psychedelic mind, formerly inside jeans in Hamtramck with a new Detroit location coming soon. Picnic Wear, a slow fashion brand made by hand in New York City from vintage and dead stock textiles. Picnic strives for minimal waste but maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Find picnicware on Instagram at picnicware, and that's wear W E A R, and at www.picnicware.com. No flight back vintage, bringing fun new life to old things. Always using recycled and secondhand materials to make dope ass shit for dope ass people. See more on Instagram at noflightbackvintage. Vino Vintage, based just outside of L.A. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Wide-Eyed Vintage, truly covetable vintage curated in Minneapolis, Minnesota, giving each piece lifetimes of wear beyond the life it has already lived. See more on Instagram at wide underscore eyed underscore vintage. Shop Journal Vintage, specializing in upcycled, handmade, and vintage fashion for all genders. Owner Laura makes each piece by hand with love in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. With an emphasis on upcycled menswear, tie-dye, modern jewelry, cottagecore collars, and everything in between, Shop Journal makes pieces they love and hopes you will too. Getting dressed should always be fun. See more on Instagram at shop underscore journal. Old Flame Mending helps you keep your clothes intact through clothing repair, visible mending, and tailoring. Through extending the life of textiles, Old Flame Mending makes your pieces not only wearable and functional again, but also unique and beautiful. This mending duo is based in Pittsburgh, but they take mail-in mending orders from anywhere in the U.S. For more information, visit them at oldflamemending.com or follow them on Instagram at Old Flame Mending. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. Welcome to Source, the podcast that learned so much about the world of dog figurines while recording this episode. I'm your host, Amanda. I think today is going to end up being like a super size episode when all is said and done, so I'm sorry in advance. But then again, one of my favorite podcasts is Mother May I Sleep With podcast, and it's about Lifetime movies. And a lot of those episodes are like two to three, sometimes four hours long, And I get so stoked to kind of just like break it up over a couple days. So maybe you can listen to this one in sections. (laughs) Well, so why is this episode so long? Like what's happening today? Well, we have a few phone calls to the hotline and a conversation with Becky of Shift Clothing. And then the main event is a conversation with a return guest, a Clothes Horse All-Star, the one and only Jenny of Late to the Party, She's going to tell us all about her experience at estate sales, and trust me, they are epic. (laughs) Estate sales are another great way to shop secondhand that you might not be familiar with, so I think you're going to love her stories. But first, it's time to thank our newest Patreon supporter, Christine Hogg, another former guest, a longtime friend of mine, and the woman behind Lady Hogg Vintage, All of you are always reaching out to tell me how much you loved her episodes about Vintage, so I know you understand why I'm so excited to have her as a patron. Thank you so much, Christine, for supporting Close Horse and me. If you've been thinking about joining the Patreon, now is a really good time because this month, in addition to all of the other rewards, which includes exclusive episodes, last month's was about Victoria's Secret, and this month's, which will be about Cabbage Patch Kids, should be coming next week, before the end of the month, of course. In addition to all that, you'll get a free anti-brunch society pin and membership card. So you can learn more about the Patreon and everything else at patreon.com slash podcast. Also, this month, if you want to support the pod, but you don't have the cash, which I get, neither would I, <laughs> write a review on Apple Podcasts, and I'll send you an anti-brunch pin, too. All you have to do is send me the screenshot. Although probably what will really happen is I'll see the review first, I'll post the screenshot in stories, and then I'll be like, "Hey, can you message me?" and then you will, and then I'll say like, "Hey, give me your address." Wow, that's a really exciting story, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, if you don't want to do either of those things, that's totally fine too because you know what? I'm just glad to have you here as a listener. So, thank you for joining me for yet another episode. Do you hear that sound? It's the Clothes Horse hotline ringing, and it's our friend Meredith. Hey, Amanda. It's Meredith. I'm giving you a call.
1: I feel like it's been forever since I talked to you, even though it really hasn't been that long. Um, I'm slowly catching up on all my missed Clothes Horse episodes, and I heard you talking about education and getting plus-size education into fashion schools. Um, I have the supreme pleasure of being an adjunct faculty member for my college um, here in Los Angeles. And I only teach one class a year, but I've also kind of assisted in other ways with certain programs as well as been consulted kind of a little bit here and there for um, curriculum. And um, I definitely see holes in a lot of the programs that they currently um, offer. Um, They're very different, some of the programs are the same from when I went to school there many, many years ago, but some of them are very different, some programs are completely new. Um, So one thing that they do do is update the curriculum um, from year to year. It's a gradual process, uh, much like traditional retail education moves a little bit slower than um, the world itself writ large, um, at least from what I've seen at this institution. They definitely prioritize having people working in the industry, teaching to get students the most up-to-date information. Um, But sometimes curriculum takes a little while to enact change, Um, it has to go through a lot of different layers, you have to get approvals. Um, It's not as easy as just saying like, okay, we're gonna get rid of this class and add this one. There's a lengthy process that's involved with it. I can say though, that, you know, there definitely, to my knowledge, isn't any plus size uh, representation within the curriculum. I could be wrong, um, but there definitely wasn't any when I went to school. Um, I would for sure say I got all of my experience on the job. And I always encourage my students and anytime that I give talks to have them do internships. If you do an internship, you're going to learn so much more than what you will ever learn in the classroom. Not to say that you shouldn't be exposed to everything or as much as possible, because that obviously helps you in the long run as well. But um, get out there, get in the business, go intern for a company that does plus size. You're gonna learn so much more than anything you could learn in the classroom. Um, Additionally, linking up with somebody, maybe someone in your network, works in plus size, or you can get connected through your school to someone who does, like within a mentor type capacity, I think that's really a great way to learn additional information. If you have someone that comes and gives a talk at your school, and maybe that person has had plus size experience, get their email, get their phone number, just reach out to anybody that you think can give you more information. Um, utilize the network that's given to you I think a lot of people ask me if it was worth it to go to the school that I went to because it's expensive and i always tell them it's worth it if you make it worth it you know like you have to make the school work for yourself essentially you have to get out there you have to network you have to talk to teachers become their friends you know there's a lot of people who know a lot of people and if there's anything that I've learned the old adage is completely true it's All who you know almost every job that I've gotten has been through knowing somebody at that company Um, it's super helpful and definitely a way for you to rise to the top so that would be my suggestion for people who are in school now um, you know while this curriculum is being developed and you know will probably be slow to implement Um, there are so many other resources out there besides just getting it from your teachers or a textbook and finally they need to pay teachers more in general. I do remember hearing Selena talking about how her salary was reduced so much, and it is so true. Most colleges that are, you know, fashion-oriented colleges, they do not tenure uh, faculty. There aren't a lot of full-time faculty, so most people are part-time, and your pay is determined on your course load as well as how many courses you, have like how many hours you've logged, essentially teaching already. So you can end up making minimum wage teaching people. And I have the biggest newfound appreciation for all my teachers because, holy shit, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Grading is so much work. It's like on top of the three-hour lecture, you have a lot of work to do outside of the classroom. And working a full-time job and teaching is always a challenge for me. It's you know you use every last ounce of your energy for teaching there's no time to do anything else when I have that one class a year so it's a lot of work and I think if we were able to pay teachers more you know it's something I love teaching and something that I would love to just quit my job and teach full-time um, but unfortunately you know financially it doesn't make a lot of sense for me at this time so Definitely something that I would like to see change, um, and as well as to get some younger people into teaching as well, because a lot of these schools have much older faculty, and it's time for a new regime, new ideas, and uh, bringing to light all of the experience that we have as young professionals to the students. I hope that some of this has made sense. Um, I just got home from work after listening to your podcast in the car, So I am a bit tired and disheveled, but um, I have a lot of thoughts about fashion education. So let me know if you want to talk about it further. I hope you're having a
0: wonderful evening, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for calling, Meredith. And if you were as excited to hear from her as I was, well, guess what? Get excited because she'll be back later this week to talk more about fashion school with me. So sit tight. There's more Meredith coming. The phone's ringing again, and it's our friend Celicia, also a previous guest. I feel like today is like a reunion because you know Meredith was a guest too. Celicia will be back next month for an episode about kids' clothes, but let's listen to her message. Hey, Clothes Horse,
1: Uh, first time caller here. Really excited. Uh, I had a question
2: um, about B Corpse versus B
1: corporations. Um, you know, there's there's a few different companies that I'm familiar with that are B Corps. Um, and I've worked places where we investigated how can we become a certified B Corp. Um, but I'm very interested to know what do we think about it, the certification and really the confusion or the differences between the two. Uh so
0: looking forward to hearing back. Take care. Bye. Okay, Selicia so brings up some really good questions here. First off, what is a B Corp? Because maybe you've heard that floating around. Maybe you've never heard that term at all. Maybe you've seen it on a package of something you bought. Well, according to the actual B Corp website, which by the way, the B Corp program is run by an organization called B Lab's. Certified B corporations are businesses that meet the highest standards of verified social and environmental performance, public transparency, and legal accountability to balance profit and purpose. The B Corp model embodies this concept that is often called the triple bottom line. Once again, you may have heard this, you may not. Basically, that triple bottom line is profit, people, and planet. I mean, that sounds great, right? B Lab and the B Corporation model really relies on this idea or perhaps is motivated by this idea that nonprofit organizations can't change the world for the better on their own. Like they actually need to get for-profit companies involved to get there. And, you know, when you think about it that way, it makes sense because there's a lot more money and, you know, power and sort of possibility tied up in the corporate world, right? I guess you could think of, B Corps as like conscious capitalism, which to be fair, does sound like an oxymoron. We'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) Now, what about a benefit corporation, which some people do call a B corporation, but since B Corps are also called B corporations, it's very complicated. So Let's just break down what a benefit corporation is. A lot of people confuse a B Corp, which is a certification, with a benefit corporation, which is a corporate legal structure. But you can see why it would be confusing already. Now, your standard corporation, whether it's J.Crew or Amazon or even smaller companies, They are called a C-corp. The primary concern of a C-corp, your traditional kind of company, is maximizing shareholder return, which is why all kinds of shady stuff happens all the time, like laying off workers during the pandemic, not because you can't afford to pay their salaries, but because you want to be able to pay dividends to a shareholder, right? That kind of stuff. I mean, we already know that's pretty shady. I don't think I need to sit here and talk about how the traditional C-Corp can be highly problematic because we already know. But if that's something you'd like to hear about, I surely could fill hours with that. (laughs) So that's a C-Corp. Well, a benefit corporation is also a for-profit entity, just like a C-Corp. But it focuses on making a positive impact on society, workers, the community, and the environment. So for example... A benefit corporation might make a strategic decision that is good for the environment, yet might not be beneficial in the short-term profit interests of its shareholders. It's sort of the longer game, if you will. I think it's also, and I am by no means saying that benefit corporations are like the solution to all of our problems, but I will say for those shareholders and the people involved in those companies, it really takes a different view of like what profitability means. That perhaps isn't the benefit of a better society a non-financial profit in itself. That's some lofty thinking, I know. For the sake of this conversation for today, I'm primarily going to be talking about B Corps and not benefit corporations. But I will say this. One, most B Corps are actually C-corps, but they have that B-corp certification, right? I couldn't find a lot of intersection between benefit corporations that were also B-corps, meaning they had the certification, but they are not exclusive of one another. I will also say, number two, that both concepts, both the B-corp and the benefit corp, They embrace that triple bottom line idea, which once again is profit, people, and planet. Which is, it's fine, but only if you believe that, you know, conscious capitalism is an actually achievable thing and not an oxymoron. So there are 3,500 B-corporations globally and like in a wide variety of industries from food to design to architecture to retail. New startups that are, I think, less than a year old can't qualify because, you know, they want you to have a, I don't know, like a paper trail of how you've been running your business. It makes sense to me. Some example of B Corps are Patagonia, Kickstarter, Etsy, believe it or not, Eileen Fisher, and Allbirds. Now, Allbirds is interesting to me. And... Maybe this will point to a crucial flaw in the B Corp model for you because it did for me. In Remake's 2020 transparency report, remake.world is a resource I use a lot. I call it out a lot on Instagram. It's really a great way to stay on top of like, you know, the pay up movement and what brands are actually doing versus what they say they're doing, that kind of stuff. Well, so Remake makes this Transparency report every year. And for this year, the 2020 transparency report, Remake contends that Allbirds is guilty of greenwashing because while they do offset their carbon and think about packaging and whatnot, they don't speak out at all about who is making their shoes, the conditions they work under, how much they're being paid. There's just no transparency at all into their supply chain. So basically, Allbirds is missing 50% of the sustainable development goals laid out by the UN because, you know, it's like 50% environmental, 50% people. Like a lot of companies that are very guilty of greenwashing out there that we've discussed in the past, Allbirds is really focusing on the environmental side of it and kind of ignoring the people element. So right there, you could say... It seems like we might be seeing a flaw in the B Corp mission, right? I have to say, like, I personally, back when I was consulting, have helped some companies work on achieving B Corp status, and I'm going to tell you, it's not easy. For B Corp certification, a business must score at least 80 out of 200 points on the B Impact Assessment, which is the tool that's used to assess the business's impact on its workers, community, community environment and customers and that score alone is kind of interesting to me let me say that again 80 out of 200 points so ostensibly you don't even have to get half the points on the assessment to pass that that's a red flag to me right now the stuff on the assessment, it it hits all kinds of aspects of how a company functions. Companies have to commit to using specific cleaning products, paper products, shipping packaging, all that stuff. And none of that is cheap. And that's the easy stuff because often an aspiring B Corp will bring in a consultant, which... Cost some serious money to help them get all their other ducks in a row, at least enough to get that 80 out of 200 points. This kind of stuff will include like overhauling their systems for payroll, accounting, taxes, scheduling, kind of all the documentation of everything they do. All that's going to need to change, often accompanied by some major changes to their leadership team. It's a long and complex process. And once again, They don't even need to get half the points on the assessment. This can be a significant burden for small businesses. So a small business that is actually being really responsible, both socially and environmentally, probably doesn't have a lot of extra cash laying around to hire consultants and pay certification fees and whatnot. And I think that points to another flaw in this B Corp concept, right? But there's also like considerable pressure to become a B Corp if a company of any size wants to be taken seriously in areas like healthy food, sustainable products and design, wellness. Companies also have to demonstrate that they aren't shirking taxes with elaborate write-offs and deductions. So automatically a ton of corporations are also disqualified they don 't even need to do any other work they 're not going to make it, and then there are industries that are just completely ineligible because their products do more harm than good right out of the gate, so they don 't even need to bother applying for this and Industries like that would be like fossil fuels and tobacco like okay, yes, they're bad news, right Once a business does meet the impact in legal requirements, once again, not even half the points on the assessment. The business registers with B-Lab. Once again, that's the organization behind the B Corp process. And then they pay certification fees, which are on a sliding scale, but are pretty considerable. Now, being a B Corp can be a good investment of your money because it allows you to sort of have bragging rights about your practices. In fact, you get a little B Corp seal that you can use on your website and products and that looks good, especially like, you know, there are a lot of conscious consumers out there who see that and think, okay, this is the right place to spend my money. And while you must continue to uphold the terms of the agreement you've made with B Labs, you're not exactly required to put people and plan first, right? Because like I said, I'm going to keep coming back to this. You don't even need to get 50% of the points in the assessment to qualify. It's concerning. So going back to all birds, there's clearly something shady going on with their supply chain, or they would be bragging about how ethical it was like all over the place, right? So the fact that they're being closed-lipped about it is a red flag, but they didn't need to share all that information to qualify as a B Corp because they didn't have to you know, get a perfect score. They didn't even have to get an A score. They basically had to get slightly less than half the points. They may have gotten there by like showing how they file their taxes and the kind of packaging they use, the sort of light bulbs they use in their warehouse. I mean, it's stuff like that. Once again, you don't need to hit all the sustainable development goals to qualify as a B Corp. That said, I think it's also important to call out who isn't a B Corp Despite claiming sustainability. Everlane, who I've called that on Instagram, major greenwasher, lots of issues with basically everything they do. Amorvert, uh, that's another one that Remake has called out as being just like an egregious greenwasher with basically no documentation around any of the claims they make towards sustainability. Um, ARC, we've talked about ARC a lot on Instagram, ARQ, uh, They're not even responding to my questions about their factories. Four Days is another one that I think does seem to be on the up and up. Of course, once I dig into it, I might think otherwise. They're not a B Corp. And then everybody world who is super sketchy and is also very guilty of greenwashing, uh, they are not a B Corp either. Overall, I would say that becoming a B Corp is really good for marketing, right? Right. But other people I've talked to in the world of sustainability and specifically zero waste or moving towards less waste, those people feel that B-Labs hasn't gone far enough. I would agree now that I know the minimal amount of points you have to get to pass. And a lot of those people are saying that they think there will be a new, even more difficult to achieve certification coming in the future. I mean, honestly, all B-Labs would have to do is increase the threshold for the number of points you need to get to pass, that alone would be a game changer, right? There's a lot of concern, particularly for those who are really involved in social and environmental justice, that the B Corp certification doesn't dig deep enough into the important things, you know, like workers and their rights, while dwelling on the use of like paper towels, Right? They believe, and I mean, I I can't disagree here, that the assessment is focused on throwing money at problems rather than actually dismantling systemic issues. I can't disagree with that, you know? And these concerns that becoming a B Corp might be too easy, too wrapped up in the status quo, well, that brings me to perhaps the fatal flaw, the biggest fatal flaw in the B-Corp model. This assumption that capitalism can save the world. This ignores the possibility that rather than a solution, capitalism may be the problem itself, <laughs> particularly capitalism as it exists today. It's like not an episode of Close Horse if we don't talk about capitalism, right? <laughs> I have a great quote from Joseph Stieglitz, who is a Nobel Prize winning economist. Like the dieter who would rather do anything to lose weight than actually eat less, this business elite would save their world through social impact investing, entrepreneurship, sustainable capitalism, philanthrocapitalism, artificial intelligence, market-driven solutions. They would fund a million of these buzzwordy programs rather than fundamentally question the rules of the game or even alter their own behavior to reduce the harm of the existing distorted inefficient and unfair rules. Now, I hate that Stiglitz brings dieting into this, but it is an effective metaphor for what the industry is doing by relying on B Corps and all these other buzzy words which ultimately all kind of lead to greenwashing, right? All the words that Stiglitz just said in that quote, it all relates to greenwashing. Knowing that you don't even need to get half the points on the assessment to become a B Corp. To me, that points to some greenwashing. Intentional, I'm not saying, but maybe a little bit intentional. Once again, Allbirds, a certified B Corp, is being accused of a lack of transparency and full-on greenwashing by one of the most important fashion watchdogs in the world. Remake. If their supply chain isn't demonstrably ethical, then how are they at B-Core? Oh, right, because they don't even need to get half the points. Okay, right, so they just skip that section. I would ask you to ask this. <laughs> Or perhaps I'm just gonna ask this and you can think about it. Is the B Corp model actually protecting a system that is deeply flawed, that struggles to behave with conscience? Because I think so. Is the idea of B Corp's protecting and even enabling a fundamentally flawed system? And if the answer there is yes, then is capitalism irredeemable? I mean, I have so many feelings there, of course. I haven't seen a compelling argument for capitalism in my lifetime. I'm apt to say that the B Corp model is a band aid, maybe even just a good coat of lipstick on a pig, except pigs are smart and cute, and capitalism is ugly and selfish. At this point, Becoming a B Corp just feels like part of a, like a checklist that a company needs to check off in order to market themselves successfully to eco-minded people, but it doesn't seem to dig deeper into the core issues of social and environmental justice. In fact, I would say it just ignores these issues altogether. It it puts up a bar that is very high and when you see the totality of what you need to achieve to cross that bar, you're like, okay, this is amazing. But then what happens is you, the consumer, turn away and they lower that bar 60%. <laughs> so it's just really easy to step over, right? Now, if you have experience with B Corps or more questions about it or just a totally different take altogether, please reach out because I want to hear your side of it too. I'm not saying that I am like a certified b corp expert i'm just saying i mean i could do a whole episode just about b corporations honestly this was like sort of just a little view of it also if this is something that you think would make a cool full-length episode that you'd like to listen to let me know i try to stay away from a lot of like really hardcore business stuff because it can get a little dry i would love to hear what you're interested in hearing about Thanks so much for calling with this question, Selicia, because it's been something I wanted to talk about, and now I had a reason to. If you have something you would like to share with me or ask me, please call the Close Horse Hotline. It's fun, it's easy, and it's actually just a voicemail. The number is 717-925-7417. Call me. I get so excited every time I get a notification that there's a voicemail. It's the best. And speaking of the Clothes Horse hotline, or at least phones, I have a little phone call with Becky of Shift Clothing. She's one of the Pegasus sponsors of Close Horse, so I thought it would be cool for all of you to, like, you know, get to know her. Plus, I personally wanted an excuse to talk to her IRL because so far we've just been internet friends and, you know, I wanted to just have a little chit-chat. I had to edit our conversation down because we definitely... Went off on some tangents. (laughs) So let's meet Becky. So I'm being joined today by Becky, who is the person
2: behind the, I guess, owner-operator of Shift in Astoria. And you recognize this brand from all of the opening blurbs. And uh, I thought we could just, like, get to know Becky a little bit more. So, Becky, Mm -hmm. why don't you tell us about, you know, How you came to Start Shift. Okay. Well it's been a it's been a kind of a
3: slow path for me. Um I uh started about five years ago um with the brand. So, you know, I started out at a farmer's market here in Astoria with my friend Nick, who's my business partner. Um we we share a space, we share a showroom, we kind of each make our own different things, but Share a lot of resources. um And he and I became friends, and he was really encouraging me to um, start making stuff and do the market. And I was like, Ugh, God, <laughs> I had spent many years <laughs> selling apples and flowers and artichokes sure and all kinds of shit at farmers markets. Oh, do you need to? Can I swear?
2: Yeah, you can swear. I swear all the time oh. on the show. It's fine. Oh, great. <laughs> I guess let's just thing. You don't even hear it because <laughs> you're so accustomed to swears. <laughs> you like, what? I didn't know this. <laughs>
3: um, anyway, that was a good way to make me kind of stop blabbing, blab, babbling about that because um, I could go on and on. But anyway, we started small. I, I kind of just kept throwing stuff at the fan and just kind of wanted to see what would stick. And just really grew slowly and organically and, um, you know, started doing bigger shows like Crafty Wonderland, and then the next year I added Urban Craft Uprising in Seattle and really sort of honed what I was making. So I started out with buttons and badges and, I don't know, banners and all kinds of stuff and then ended up really just focusing on clothing and um, making things that I wanted to wear like that mm-hmm. was sort of my focus, and um, once I figured out that people were interested in what I wanted to wear for myself, it really it was like everything kind of opened up. I was
2: like, oh, okay, this is
3: this is where my focus needs to be.
2: Mhm, mhm. Well, I always see the things you post on Instagram when they, like you repost customer photos and stuff, and then I have to go creep on the customers, and they're all like they're so happy just so excited to wear what you've made and that must make you feel
3: so good it is and like starting to do those shows when I started doing those shows and people started buying stuff and having that reaction it it really sort of solidified for me that I was you know on the right on the right path with it the suspender dress which is kind of my like signature item has a weird sort of it's like a, it's sort of like an apron, but it's a pinafore. Um, it has a weird, like, armor feeling to it. Like, it's a, it's a weirdly protective garment, and people mm-hmm. feel really, um, empowered when they wear it. I mean, it's very specific. It's got an A-line silhouette. It's not for everybody, for sure, but, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting how happy it makes people, and that makes me super stoked.
2: Something that is an important part of the blurb, the, shift blurb in the beginning of every episode is that we talk about how you put fat people first. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit because otherwise, every other brand out there, for the most part, there are exceptions, obviously, but they're putting fat people, I would say 12th, 14th, 32nd (laughs) on their list of people to dress. Uh, What what made you decide to do
3: that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it really, literally, I, I am pretty much the fit model for everything. And I'm like a size 24. Um, so I'm a fat person and I always have been my entire life. And, um, like I said earlier, like once I started embracing the fact that I was kind of making what I wanted to be wearing and what my aesthetic was and for my body, that's when I really found the confidence to have this company and it really took off. So for me, just because, and it, it sounds, now that I say it out loud, it sounds super narcissistic, but like, <laughs> kind of my, my putting fat people, aka geeky, Um but like, you know, kind of my body as the template for most of my designs is um, is really what that's about. Like any company, I am constantly trying to improve um, my upper size range, and I've run up to a lot of roadblocks, and honestly, it's it's been um not the easiest thing for me to expand my sizes.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I, I go up pretty high, but uh I still have fit issues with, with a lot of um the upper sizes uh, just just for small things like armhole width and you know things that have a have a closer body fit are have been a challenge for me.
2: And do you think that is because, that is why so many brands I mean, brands that make clothes in larger sizes to begin with, often after a certain size point, we'll just start making them custom for people. Like, is it maybe because it can become more challenging as the sizes get larger? Yeah, that's possible. I mean,
3: I, I think that, um, just the, like we were, yeah, the variety of ways that something can fit a body that has these measurements and a different body that has the same measurements, but, like, they're just arranged slightly differently, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a wide variety. I find custom work so difficult when I can't see somebody in real life. and um, Yeah, I bet. And asking for measurements is, is often uh, sort of a futile, a futile thing, unless, the, unless they're very experienced, too.
2: So. Right, right. It's The yeah. way most people are measuring your body is completely wrong. If they're measuring them at yes. all, you know, the number of people I've been Correct. like, well, get out of a tape measure and measure yourself. And they're like, What's I don't have one of those. Why would I have one of those? And I'm like, oh, right. well, have you ever bought? I mean, I've had tape measures around my house forever because I was a very early adopter of buying clothes on eBay, like yes. way back in the early aughts. So yes, yes. I was constantly like measuring myself for my clothes to see if I could buy this thing I saw on eBay for fourteen ninety nine.
3: Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, totally. And I, I mean, as a seamstress, I have eight thousand. I mean, I've offered to send people, you know, a, a cloth tape measure before because I, you just the numbers you get are wild, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm blaming the customer either. Like that's the last thing I want to do. I just no. really want to provide an experience that is easy and straightforward, and that's kind of what we're here to sort of try to get to today. Is like this whole like the myth of the size chart.
2: Oh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're, it, we're a mess. Gonna, it is a mess. And that's what we're going to talk about today size charts. And, oh, I mean, everywhere I've worked so much hand wringing over size charts, like, especially if it's a place where we sold a lot of different brands, because there's no consistency out there in what, right. what is the size 20? What is the size eight? What is a medium? Like no, nothing. There's no consistency. Right. And furthermore, if both people don't know their actual measurements, even if those charts are super accurate, they're not going to be very helpful. And then like I was, before we started recording, I was saying like, well, you're lucky because you sell all the clothes yourself. So you know that they measured, they measure when they're done, what you planned them to measure. Whereas like with a lot of retailers, it's like, well, it came in an inch off, but it's close enough. We'll just sell it. Right. So, right. right. It's like It's like, every meeting I would be in at work that someone would be like blaming the customers, like, uh they would just like stop being so dumb and measure themselves. Right. And it'd be like, dude, come right. on. First off, no right. one learns how to do that. Secondly, it's really hard to measure yourself actually. Yes. Um, I even one time we, I got this new sewing kit from Amazon. This was like years ago. We just needed something to like do quick repairs around our house and there was a tape measure in it and I measured myself and I was like, wow, this is really weird because this is showing Mm -hmm. that my chest is four inches smaller than it normally is. And, I mean, (laughs) if that were the case, like, my bra would be, like, all weird right now. Like, they'd be, like, hanging off me. And Dustin was like, no, I'm sure that's just, like, what? It's probably, you were just probably wrong all this time. And then I was like, I can't accept this. (laughs) I think something is wrong. And I dug out another tape measure that I had. And, in fact, the one I had gotten was just incorrect. So he was like what the fuck? I know, I know.
3: <laughs> I was like, Well I've, heard, I've heard about that. I've I've never experienced that myself, but I've heard about um I've heard tale of measuring
2: <laughs> you know, <laughs> measuring tools
3: that are not correct or not uh, calibrated like, or whatever. Yeah.
2: I mean very this one was like a very uncalibrated. It was someone who's like a <laughs> centimeter is close enough to an inch, it'll be fine, you know. Yeah. We just printed this off. Yeah. <laughs> so bad and that measuring tape I kept throwing it out and it would somehow reappear somewhere Ugh. it was like haunted and I would measure myself no, and be like wait that. a minute yeah i don't know how it kept i think Dustin thought i was like throwing it out by accident and was like taking it <laughs> back out and then putting it away and i was like, like oh, that in the junk drawer <laughs> yeah Ugh. anyway so factops are really really hard even for like huge brands who have like whole teams of people working on them but you're trying to do it all by yourself yeah. So, why don't you talk to talk about what you've been up to with that? Okay. <laughs> well,
3: uh I've been I have hired my friend Tori to help me sort of do a. um We're looking at a lot of independent brands, smaller brands, and just sort of taking a lot of information. We don't want to like repeat the work that they've done, but we want to use it as a guideline to help us figure out what works best for Shift because. You know, something that would be amazing is if you know, if a bunch of small brands got together and made our own size chart that we could yeah. all agree on. but yeah. I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's going to happen. Or, and we, you know, we all kind of have different, a different focus too. You mm-hmm. know. Mhm. So, um, anyway, that could be something cool to think about, though, is to try to, try to get, a bunch of people on board to have the same size chart.
2: I mean, I think but, that would be um, really cool because then you could also like. Cool. Work on a lot of other stuff together. Like suddenly, you're this yeah. like community of brands, and like if a customer knew they could trust one of you to get their fit, they would shop all of right. you.
3: Right, right. I,
2: I like this idea. So we gotta that, make it
3: happen. I know. I'm kind of into it. I mean, that's sort of utopian thinking, and um, I don't think it's impossible. <laughs> um, but
2: <laughs>
3: but in the meantime, you know, as we're looking at these um, these brands, and and then kind of trying kind to. Of, figure out how my sizing works with it like the suspender dress specifically has a different set of sizing than most of my other clothes because it's it you want it to fit kind of close to get the best result for the right um right you know it's not an oversized garment if you if it's oversized you start to look like you know like a cartoon guy wearing a barrel or something like it's just not <laughs> doesn't quite work you kind of need a closer fit at the waist yeah yeah uh, um, most of the other things I make, um, are more open size and, you know, I'll have them maybe in a medium through a 4X or maybe a, you know, smaller, mediumish and bigger kind of categories just depending on the garment. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I'm trying to figure out something that, that makes sense for all of those, you know, basically those three different ways of, of fitting that I have in my own world and kind of how they make sense with stuff that's already out there. Um, and it's, uh, we're really at the beginning of this. I'm not saying it's going to be an incredibly scientific thing, but, um, you know, I just, I just want it to sort of fit into the world that, that we're in this kind of slow fashion moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish I could say I had something definitive that we've discovered, but the, the, the um, like 10 brands that we've looked at are literally all over the map. There's not oh, a lot. Totally. Of consistency.
2: Totally. I mean, we at ModCloth, we were trying, this was like something we were working on forever. Then um, this was like years ago. And so we had someone, not me, had gone out and kind of collected the size charts from every brand that we carried in an attempt yeah. to maybe create one general size chart that we could put on the site and then right. customers could use it to buy our own brand stuff and the customer and the other brand stuff and it was just like the differences were so huge. Yeah. It was ridiculous. And it's you're like you're
3: a size ten in this and a fourteen in that. And
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean and then like that's only if like it turns out that you're also the same height as the model they were using or something. Because I feel like <laughs> that's where it also gets complicated if you're shorter or taller, if you're a leg person or a torso person or you know, amazing. how wide your shoulders are, and it just becomes so impossible.
3: Yeah. The strides that we've made towards more inclusive sizing has, has been super amazing. And You know, the Instagram community that we have of people talking about sizing and calling people out on sizing, I think, is super important, especially for those bigger companies. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I, I think it's so important for people to know how, and I'm not trying to say this to make any excuses or anything but that it is just so complicated and there are a lot of things that bigger companies can do to um you know expand their sizes and I'm all for it a thousand percent yeah you know what I mean I just feel really
2: sensitive about it I guess I mean it's it's really hard (laughs) because like people there's so much variety in bodies that go beyond just like how big your waist is, or how big your chest nice. is—like it's so much more complicated. Like I, for example, have found that it's really difficult for me to find like a romper anywhere that fits me because yeah. I have a really short torso, and I must have a long rise or something because uh-huh. it'll end up like being blousey above the waist, and then like I have like camel toe, you know? Yeah, right. I wear a
3: romper. really? Who can?
2: Can wear a romper.
3: <laughs> I mean, I guess it's not even like
2: really on trend anymore, but there was that moment where it was like romper madness everywhere. And I, yeah, I want yeah. to try all the rompers on and it was like miserable, you know. And I think that goes that once again, it's just like because it's so much more complicated because bodies yeah. are so different. And, you know, also that these things are fit on like these hard mannequins, so right. You can't really right. see how it's really going to wear. I don't know. I, There's, like, no easy solution there, and it frustrates me because, you know, more than ever, people buy stuff online, and, I mean, obviously, this year, like, is a crazy time. You, like, extra have to buy stuff online, but even before that, people were opting to buy everything online, and I just, and it leads to all these, like, returns, and it's, like, so much waste and so much despair for the customers, and it's almost like, can we just go back to the old-timey ways of buying stuff IRL. So that's, right, you know, like if someone came into your store and you were like, cause you were suddenly selling rompers, you know, and if I came in and was like trying on some rompers and I was like, Hey, is there like a, a shorter torso version? You could probably work something out for me, you know? Right. That's like what we give up when we buy everything online. Yeah. It's so frustrating. I
3: really, you know, as, as somebody who is like, coming at it from a customer's perspective which is sort of my deal like i i really think about how the customer is gonna experience something and i i want items to be so useful and i don't want them to sit around in a closet Mm -hmm. you know like Mm -hmm. why why sell something to somebody if they're not gonna use it like it's kind of it almost dumbs me out. <laughs> no, like, me I, like, like I'm I'm great I'm feel good making a sale, but like what I really want is for that thing to be to be used, you know. And so I don't know. I th- I think I obsess a lot about the customer perspective and like how it's going to work for them and. Mhm.
2: Mm-hmm. Which um, is awesome. Yeah.
3: You know, <laughs> it's, it's um what it is is uh it's debilitatingly uh yeah it it freezes me up <laughs> so yeah you're welcome
2: <laughs> I get that I get that a lot yeah. 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 It's great. I mean I'm constantly like have just like uploaded a new episode and then I'm like oh, are people going to think I said the word important too much in that episode and then they're going to think that <laughs> like I'm not good at words and then they're going to stop listening or make fun of me on the internet and then I'm like sitting there fretting or something so yeah yeah.
3: (laughs) it's interesting it is it is hard to put yourself out there and the more out there I get the more neurotic I get about this stuff I've hired this friend to help me with stuff because I need to take it out of my brain a little bit because it it'll it'll make me crazy and this person is um ideal because like I'm kind of I'm kind of an artist brain you know like I I definitely am one of those people that's like oh, I, I'm a creative, like, I don't know how to do paperwork. Like, that is me to a T. And um this person is very much into research, plus she's a slow fashion, plus-size buyer. Like, she buys all that stuff online. Mm-hmm. And so, like, she knows the customer perspective, and then she's also able to look at the numbers and try to make sense of it all.
2: That's awesome. That's, like, the perfect on you, Corey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no pressure, but it seems like no you know. pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you, are you working on any other cool stuff right now? Um no, I'm what I'm doing right now
3: is being weirdly excited that I'm that um I'm not doing my usual holiday uh schlep around of going to all the shows and um, oh, yeah, all that, all that jazz yeah so I mean the timing has been so strange because Nick and I started renting the studio and showroom about a year ago, like January mm-hmm. one last year and then you know those shows are I think a lot of people would be surprised to know really expensive, <laughs> you know, like it's a lot of rent to basically go to a show for a weekend. We would do crafty u c u up in Seattle, and you know that's a good five to six hundred bucks, I think I don't remember actually
2: now. Mm-hmm. Is it more I don't know you gotta travel and like stay in a hotel, like
0: oh going all the way
2: to Seattle, I and mean, that is far well, a store is kind yeah. of far from Portland anyway, you know, it's two hours, yeah, two hours from Portland, four hours from Seattle.
3: It's something we did for about four years, and I think we were both kind of kind of over it, so the whole idea of the space that we have now was to put that show money into rent, so mm-hmm. we have like a a showroom that people can visit. And then you know the pandemic
2: happens, so we can we can have visitors, but just two at a time. <laughs> right, right. Well, at school, say so you're not having to do all of these fairs.
3: Yeah, and I don't know if we would be doing them anyway because of the timing here, but I have a feeling that we both probably would have at least done one of the bigger shows, just because mm-hmm. you can go and make a make a little little bit of money and kind of last you through the a couple months of the winter.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so anyway, I'm very glad to not be doing that. Um, it's sort of the opposite of what you asked me, what I was working on, but I'm working on just like staying healthy and, uh, not being completely stressed out.
2: I mean, I was, yeah. I was telling my husband that the other day that normally at this time of year, I'd be so stressed out about work yeah. and yeah. like, just like also stressed to like, I have all these other commitments. I have to like travel and buy yeah. gifts, do this and do that. Yeah. Swap at work yeah. or something. Yeah. And this year it's like, no, nope, this, this is it. It's the same like the day before it's like kind of nice I know I'm I'm
3: super super sad and bummed that I don't get to see my family but I'm okay with I'm okay with the rest
2: of it I'm really okay with it yeah I'm kind of just trying to like embrace it because you know hopefully next year will be different and I miss I seriously miss my family and friends so much but yeah you know if I sit around and let myself be sad about that all the time, then I'm almost, like, squandering this opportunity to, you know, just be peaceful at home.
3: Yeah, there's something nice about just taking every day like it's the same day and, you know, not, like, not, like, stressing out too much about the fact that you're missing a bunch of stuff. It's – I don't know. I, I'm i just sort of – that's what I'm doing. I'm just, like, it's just another day. It's just a Friday.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's kind of nice. I mean, what does Friday even mean anymore? It's irrelevant. Time is a constant. When I see people post on Instagram, like, TJF, I'm like, what? what? Why? What? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> it's so weird. I guess some
3: people do have, do have five-day-a-week jobs still.
2: I guess they do. Yeah, I mean, because even, yeah. like, you know, my husband's still working, but he works, like, all the time and at weird times. Yeah. And so the only day that I ever am really aware of is Sunday because out here in Lancaster County, everything is is closed on Sundays so like
0: mm-hmm. if you need
2: groceries or something you have to be really mindful of that and go on Saturday yeah. so I only know yeah. Sundays yeah, yeah, right?
3: yeah. <laughs> you you have to have at least one day a week to kind of order your whole world over. Yeah. <laughs> so for otherwise it's just I mean you'll just go like flying off into the ether yeah sure for so, I me mean, my my anchor yeah. day is Sunday <laughs> yeah Yes. I have Monday, which is the day my friend Sarah comes in and helps me cut stuff. I'm like, that's the one day I have to be like cognizant of what's going on. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> it's the little things. Well, yeah I'm, yeah, I'm glad I got to talk to you today and catch up and yeah, me like too you. talk in real life, yeah, sort same. of.
3: <laughs> sort of. I feel like I um, didn't really answer any of the things that we were gonna talk about, but um, you know.
2: <laughs> We did talk. <laughs> we did talk, and that's all that mattered, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Someday I'm going to come back to the West Coast. I'm going to come and visit you in Astoria. Uh, I, wait. I, I know it's not that far away. I'm like, I would love to come out next summer and like see my family because most of my family is in Portland or Salem. So, yeah. Oh, did <sighs> you grow up in Salem? No, I grew up in Pennsylvania because I'm from my okay. dad's first marriage uh and so after seeing my mom get divorced he moved to the west coast but my sisters grew up in salem and they have stories
3: (laughs) yeah so laying Bored again (laughs) salem is a strangely
2: specifically weird place it is so weird and you know i came out to visit my dad in high school and they took me to the mall there in salem um Mm -hmm. i think i maybe actually went to both malls while i was there and The thing that struck me most, when I came home and people were like, what's Oregon like? I was like, well, Mm when you go to the mall and you go in the stores that we have here, they play country music. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Thanks, Lancaster Mall.
2: Yes, totally. Thanks, Lancaster Mall. (laughs) I also just want to say, if my sister Kelly is listening to this episode, which she probably will, she always swore that the Lancaster Mall was the cool mall, so –
3: Oh really? Not the downtown mall? Yeah,
2: I always thought the downtown mall was kind of cool because it's, it's like really old, you know? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I always thought the downtown mall was cool
2: too. I don't know what it's called. Is it even called
3: the downtown mall?
2: I (laughs) I wish, I wish it was called the downtown mall because that would be the downtown. That's the best name for a mall ever, but I don't even think that mall exists anymore. I think they like closed it all up. I think there's still a lot of the freestanding bigger
3: stores I don't know i i don't I don't hardly ever go to Salem, but I have a lot of friends that grew up there. uh
2: My parents live in West Salem mm. and nice. <laughs> I was listening to an episode of Dateline the other night, and they were talking about this woman being kidnapped at the Ross in Salem and I was like. Really excited because I knew exactly where it was because it's, like, right before you turn to go over to the bridge to West Salem. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. I'm <laughs> picking that cross. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I love how you, like, live, live out in the boonies and it freaks you out and you're listening to people being kidnapped. On oh, that my line. God.
2: I know. I mean, I think the most important thing that I've learned from Dateline is that. I tell Dustin this all the time. I'm like, instead of us murdering each other, let's just get a divorce if we hit that point. Like, I don't understand (laughs) why. Every episode, you think it might be someone else, but it's always the husband or wife. It's always always the Yeah. 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 That's the most important thing I've learned from Dateline. Yeah, good. Thanks, Dateline. (laughs) Whatever. All right. Well, I am glad I got to talk to you today and hopefully I'll get to talk to you again soon. Maybe we can do this every month. Okay. That would be great. Really all Great right.
3: talk to you. Thank You're you so much, Amanda. Okay, bye. Okay. Bye.
0: Okay. Aren't you so glad you got to hear Becky's voice and hear what she's up to? You can see more of Becky's work and all of her super happy customers on Instagram at Shift Astoria and on the internet at shiftwheeler.com. All right. Let's get into our conversation with Jenny of Late to the Party. Today, we have a return guest. It's Jenny of Late to the Party. And we're going to talk about these lesser known forms of thrifting and secondhand, which are estate sales and auctions. And this was actually Jenny's idea because she is like the ultimate estate sale aficionado, and I would say expert. (laughs) I'll take that title. I'll take, yeah, yeah. I like that title. (laughs) So why don't you, you know, tell everyone how you got into estate sales because it's not something you are born doing. Correct.
4: <laughs> yes, I didn't. I was like at birth an estate sale queen. Um, I yeah. mean, I love that. I love yeah. that you just like come right out. Right. And I'm just like, where's the next sale? Um, yeah, I am kind <laughs> of my friends known as like the, the ultimate like estate sale queen at this point, um, which I love that title. It's like, you know. Um, but anyhow, uh, so basically like I started... I think we talked about it a little bit in the last um, last time we spoke on the podcast on the pod um, that I kind of grew up in a in a thrifting household. Like my mom was an antiques and mm-hmm. uh, collectibles dealer, so I was always going to like Goodwills and Salvos with my mom growing up. So I was kind of like. I got a taste for that what I call the hunt, you know, as a young at a young age. <laughs> and um, and you know, so that was really a big part of my life growing up. And then, you know, I moved to New York in my early 20s, and as we all know, I mean, New York in the 90s still there was some thrifting to be had, but you know, New York's a really concentrated area and there's a lot of very like stylish people who were on that tip doing some sort of similar stuff. And there wasn't really a ton of like great thrifts to go to. I mean, there was like, you know, some vintage curated vintage places and some more of those like more like, you know, uh, what I call like, um, they're not like curated vintage, but the bigger houses that have like all sorts of stuff. And they had some of that still in the city. But there wasn't a ton of it. So I was kind of like itching for that kind of experience. um, And was sort of like looking around at other ways to do that in New York. So I think it kind of all sort of shifted when I got a car, um, which when I moved to Brooklyn, and I really got it just mm-hmm. to, be able to go up to Connecticut and see my parents and help them with various things. But so I got a car and I was like, had more mobility. And so I started being like, oh, let me see if there's any like tech sales or, you know, whatever. And then I just got totally obsessed. Um, <laughs> you know, It was just like, oh, let me scratch the surface. And then it was just like, you know, forget it. So, yeah. So I've been the state sailing um, in the tri-state area for years now. And it's become like one of my favorite pastimes. I, you know, I sometimes just wake up on a Sunday, my partner's still like sleeping, and I'm like, I'm just gonna go out. And I just go and and, like, see what happens. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of how it started. It's just just sort of like looking for that similar kind of thrifting experience that I couldn't really find in the same way in New York. And then it just became sort of like a love affair for me. And I, everywhere I go, I mean, that's like my partner always jokes, whenever we go on a road trip, he's like, Oh, babe, like, we don't have a lot of time, so you can pick like one or two spots. You know? <laughs> so I have to like kind of fit it in, or like you know, when we go on vacation, like with friends, I have to be like, "You guys, I'm just gonna go for like a drive for a little." Everyone's like, "Oh, okay." Um, <laughs> you know, so it's like I know. some, some some trips are not about that, but when there is that opportunity, like I definitely like to just pop out and see what's going on. Um, So yeah, so that's like how
0: I got started. So. For the listeners, what is an estate sale? Because it sounds like really regal and intimidating. Right, totally. You know, someone else just asked me that recently.
4: And I mean, at the end of the day, it's – it's really can be a, there's a wide range, I think, of what people are calling estate mm-hmm. sales. I mean, there's no one, you know, there's no one like managing that world I being like, that's not an estate sale or like calling people out in the wrong language <laughs> or anything. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> it's like, really whatever you want to call it. You want to call it a tag sale. You want to, but I think essentially estate sales are really when it's the entire state. I mean, it's pretty simple. I think, you know, it's when, an entire home uh, and that could be a home, a, a, you know, a flat, like a, whatever, any kind of, whatever a home consists of apartment. And then it's like pretty much the the contents of that. So I think that's sort of like a general, I think people can say whatever they want at this point and it makes it sound like sexier. So they'll say like, Oh, estate sale. And you get there and you're like, Oh, this is barely. But I think it really it's just mostly the, the, the entire estate is being uh, put up and it's just really the home. And oftentimes it is when someone has passed away, um or mm-hmm. if, if someone's like going to another living facility or you know living with family or just like downsizing so it can be everything from a lot of that to even just moving and they're like you know we you know people who retire and they're like hey I have this huge house full of stuff and I just I'm going to live in a condo and be happy for the rest of you know my the rest of my life mm-hmm. and get rid mm-hmm. of all of stuff so I think it's a little bit of a range um but I think yeah mostly when it's a whole home um that has a lot of contents in it
0: yeah, and it'll be kind of like everything. Yeah. Like literally the entire person's estate, if you will. There'll be yes. sheets and like yeah. furniture and decor and clothes. And I mean, we went to an estate sale where even the trash cans were part of it. I actually got a really sick hamper.
4: Yeah, totally. And I mean, you know, there's part of me that's like, it's. I always find that interesting because it's like, you know, especially older people, too, maybe that don't have a huge family. A lot of times, family comes in and takes out the things that they want, you know, um, mm-hmm. personal items, blah, blah, blah. But oftentimes, I'll find like photo albums and things like that, which I'm like, wow, like no one wanted that, you know, which I always kind of find surprising. But I see that an awful lot. Yeah. I think sometimes, too, there was so much more. Like now, because everything's digital, we don't print every you know, photo we ever take, obviously. Um, It's Mm -hmm. a highlight reel, right? You might have some frames around or a few photo albums of like childhood stuff. But I think back in the day, you know, people just printed everything. So they had these photo albums and like a lot of the stuff was probably not great or like, Stupid, that, like there, I sometimes will see people take pictures that are like of their house just when it got went under construction or something. You know, so maybe people. I would see like weird stuff like that where it's like, okay, maybe the family's like, we don't need to save that. It's fine, you know. It's, it's fine.
0: <laughs> we <Yeah. laughs> we have this crazy. I found it at the thrift store and I had to buy it. And it's like a photo that was like printed on like a wood. Like it was met. Someone paid a lot of money for this, right? To have this photo printed in some sort of, like, enamel or something on this, like, deeply shellacked, like, ornate wood piece that has, like, the metal hardware for hanging. Right. And it's literally just a blurry photo of the front of their house and the dog. Mm-hmm. It's really amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, like, not a good photo at all. Right. And you know someone spent some money to get this done, to get photos printed on wood. I can't even imagine. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that that
4: whole world of like photos and stuff has changed and how people like what is looked at as like, you know, what what kind of portraits people had and things like that. It's obviously over time that those trends change and technology changes, you know, so it's like mm-hmm. it's interesting to see. I actually bought, which this, uh, this is part of one of the stories I'll tell, but I did buy a um, piece of computer art. I say that in quotes. I mean, I guess it was technically (laughs) computer art. And it was a portrait of the couple that owned the home, but it was all done. There's a name for it, and I forget now, but it's where they printed out in, like, um, just, like, normal letters and numbers. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that old computer art where they, like, Uh, almost like a Chuck Close thing, or something where they, like, printed it in, like, the, you know, like, all of the letters of the keyboard, but, like, made it, yeah, it's super weird. And when I bought it, this woman, like, totally judged me. And she was like, did you know them? And I was like... Um, no, but like, how dare <laughs> you? Because I think this is a, a contact, yeah. you know,
0: it was like, a I can't part. believe someone like try to call you out oh, yeah. for that. I was like, don't you dare.
4: I was like, I'm here supporting your sale and I'm trying to like archive this fat, this artifact of technology here and, uh, no judgments. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, there's definitely like weird stuff like that that I've, ta- I've like bought or, you know, whatever someone's just given me. Um, because it's more, it is like a weird artifact, like the thing you were talking about like we're like no one does that like who's gonna print this on this weird piece of wood and you know sometimes they're just interesting yeah like, the fact that it was made you know
0: yeah yeah i know i mean we saw it and we were like we have to buy this i it has like no visual value whatsoever but it was like this is this is who we are we are yeah. people who appreciate this <laughs>
4: yeah absolutely. i think that's a half the reason why you know i i end up buying some of the things i do just because i find them so fascinating just like as weird
0: pieces Totally, totally. Well, and I think, you know, something that you and I were talking about when we were talking about estate sales is this view you get into someone's life, right, that maybe no one else would get. Like, their friends and coworkers Mm might not even have this view of them and, like, what's important to them and how they live, right? Yeah. You've met some interesting people on your journeys. (laughs) I have. Yeah. I definitely
4: have. I have met some very eccentric and interesting people along the way. I mean, speaking of that one um, piece, I was just talking about the computer art, my girlfriend and I, who's my ride or die thrifter, shout out Molly Sims. um, We went to this estate sale on Cape Cod, and it was totally not planned. And uh, we just like happened to see this one. And we're like, Oh, let's check it out. It's probably a dud, whatever beautiful property we got there I was like wow it was just this like nestled on this gorgeous corner property with like this water all around it it was just like a it was almost like a log cabin it was just this really beautiful space you know and we're doing our usual we go through the house and looking through stuff and books and stuff like that it didn't have a lot of fashion they were not necessarily fashionable people <laughs> um, but really interesting like they were both educators so they were re- had a lot of really cool books and just like interesting stuff So we're looking through the stuff and it's amazing what you can like sort of learn about a person's life as you're looking through the remnants of like what's, you know, the objects they left behind. Right. And so I learned that they were husky breeders, which was amazing. (laughs) So there was a lot of really cool pictures of them with like different huskies through the years. I found that they were both like teachers. I started looking at his side of the, the bed where his bookshelf was. And there was a lot of like very artsy photography of like gay men and different things. And I was like, huh, interesting. Like a lot of like, you know, homosexual themed books and stuff, which I was like, okay, you know, it's sort of like interesting because then you're like, huh, what, it just makes you be like, what was their life like? Like, were they actually a couple? Friends, I just said let's make a life together. You know, it's just really like kind of you sort of peeling this onion, and and so then we you know Molly and I just kept like looking through things, and we were like, oh wow, and we found some. I found some amazing books, and then we found this binder, and she's looking. You know, I don't. Again, I, why do we do this? I have no idea. Um, but we're looking through all of these, um, this binder and stuff, and we find like a letter, and it was basically a letter that. The husband wrote to an unknown man that was um, basically addressing inappropriate behavior towards his wife's sister, you know, and it was this like really fascinating thing because we were like, why is he writing this letter? Like, did they ever send it? Was this a draft? I know. I have so many
0: questions.
4: I know. too. I mean, I mean, we actually ended up like trying to Google them just because we were like, what was their, you know, like, I mean, that's when we found out really that they were teachers and stuff. And it was like, you know, it's just sort of like fascinating, these little like remnants that you leave behind in your life, like you said, that most people might not have even known about, but because... You know, no one cared about this book of whatever letters and things that they had. Um, we ended up finding it. And, you know, so it's just like stuff like that that really like fascinates me. And it's this very intimate in a lot of ways um that you get to experience that um you don't really get to do in any in any other capacity that I can really think of. Um so that no, was like a really cool no. one. I also took from like so not I say took, but I obviously I purchased. um I had a stack of stuff I had um uh the her wedding cake, and she had handwritten out like um very old timey it was almost like a a rum carrot cake or something like that, and it was this like beautifully like handwritten um piece of paper about like the wedding cake and stuff like that, so like it was just really sweet, and I was actually getting married like two months later, so I just felt like it was this like sweet little token, um but it's just like stuff like that that I feel like. There's this real intimate, like, look at someone's life that I find, like, I don't know, kind of, like, heartwarming or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I have so many questions about that letter. It's, like, I know, they me too. saved it, you know? Yeah. Did they send it? Was it a carbon?
4: Right. Was it, like, a draft? Because it was, like, it was type- It was typewritten on a typewriter. Um, so part of me was like, oh, is it, you know, and actually the funny thing is I think that we had the letter, either Molly and I have it, but I can't find it. So we'll do a little, Uh, if I find it, I'll call you back on the hotline and do a little reading of the letter. Yes.
0: I need to to know. I know.
4: I was like, where's the letter? I was trying to find it, but I don't know if we actually had it because we both bought a bunch of books. So there might've been in there. I'll double check. But yeah, so it's like, did they not send it? Did they decide that like, maybe it wasn't a good idea?
0: I don't know. Who knows? But they saved it. You know right. what I mean? Right. Like, like they were like, oh, but this is still important enough to save. Like, maybe they're like, well, we'll see how things go, and maybe we'll send it next month. I don't know, or like, right. it's just totally who so knows. So crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, yeah,
4: so, that was like a really cool one, and especially because it was on Cape Cod, and and a lot of times, you know, I haven't hit a lot of really amazing ones on Cape Cod, so that was like a special one. Another mm-hmm. one that I went to a couple summers ago um, was just kind of an unusual one for me. My bread and butter house is like, sort of like a, an older woman who was like a crafter, maybe of some sort, and like mm-hmm. to sell, or people that like, really didn't, didn't update their homes, you know, stuff like that, like, kind of like, oh, you know, working ladies who were maybe, you know, were a nurse or something and just like liked cool fabric. And you know, it's like, usually the kind of people that I love to stumble upon in sales. But um, this one was a little bit out of my usual, it was um, in Long Island. And it was in a very wealthy area in Long Island. And it was basically like a mansion. I saw the pictures online and I was like, oh my God. And I usually don't go to those to be quite honest because they're usually mostly like furniture and stuff that I'm not really looking for. Um, You know, just like bigger pieces, like mirrors and lighting and stuff like that. Because a lot of those homes, you know, they get cleaned out or they are not that old. So anyway, so this one was like, it was very European style, like, you know, mansion on Long Island. And I walked in and I was like, wow. This place was just a stunner. I mean, it was the, one of the best parts about it. And the stuff that I remember is that it was, there was a huge spiral staircase when you first walk in with marble and all that. And there was a big, wow. big ceiling, right? Like a big, one of those like sort of like puffy circular ceilings when you're like walking up a spiral staircase. And they had it a custom mural made of the woman who owned the home with her like shih tzus, I think. And so it was like very like, it was very like Sistine Chapel vibe, like, you know, like European, like, you know, ceiling mural, but it was this woman and her dogs. It was just like, I was like, wow. Okay. So that was like my first impression. <laughs> and then I'm walking <laughs> through the house and I'm like this, you know, cause everything was custom, you know, everything as someone who worked in interior, mm-hmm. design, I could tell everything was custom made and there was tons of clothes, but they were like contemporary clothes, you know, for the most part and very small. So that was not something that I was really, but I was just sort of fascinated and I'm looking around. I mean, when I say there was tons of clothes, it was like somebody who had a ton of money and just was obsessed with shopping, room, three giant rooms with racks and bags and shoes. I mean, above and beyond, like insane, right? So I'm looking around yeah. and I'm just kind of blown away. And and also, the, the clothes were very contemporary to me, so I was like curious about why they were having this estate sale. Like, who lived here? You know what I mean? Because usually it's someone on mm-hmm. older, or it's a moving right. sale. They don't have, they're not selling all their clothes. But I start kind of looking around. I'm sort of like looking at this lady who's been kind of like lurking. And I turned to her and I say, "Wow, this is a pretty amazing home, huh?" And she was like, "Oh yeah, well, it's it's my home." And I was like, "Oh, okay." So then I'm like immediately like shift gears. I'm like, "This is the owner." So I was like, "Oh wow." She's like, well, it was my mom's, my family's home." And I was like, "Oh okay." So we start chatting. She's very friendly, and you know, I start telling her that um, I sew, and you know, I have this small business. And I make these jackets, and you know, blah blah blah. And so she starts being like, "Oh well." I got I to gotta show you some stuff. And I was like, oh, God, okay. So I start getting a little, like, <laughs> hyper. So I'm like, oh, my God, this lady is, like, what is happening right now? So she's like, I oh, know, my I'm, like,
2: me. excited for you. <laughs> I know. I was
4: like, okay, I was like, oh, be cool, Jenny. Like, don't freak out. So I, you know, I'm like, okay, because I had had some fabric in my hand. That's what kind of how it started. I had found a few, like, a roll of fabric. And so she's like, oh, well, let me, if you are like fabric, let me show you. She takes me up to the attic, okay, into a room that was not open to the public. Mm-hmm. And it was a cedar closet and she said, oh, so she, and anyway, she, I find also find out she's a Greek, she's basically a Greek heiress. My family's Greek as well, my mom's side. So we started talking about that. So I think that's why she also kind of like loved me to start. So we started bonding about that. She takes me to this, to this, um, this room and it's filled with vintage fabrics, like just, and it's <gasps> kind of a mess, but it's like filled with vintage fabrics. And I was just like, Oh my god! What am I gonna? So I start like hyperventilating. Okay, okay. And so she's pulling out these beautiful—I mean, everything from like '60s polyester prints that were insane to like this roll of silk quilted silk chartreuse-colored fabric. And It was—it was like beautifully made from Paris. In a roll that had crepe paper still around it, like craft paper. So it hadn't even never been touched. And I was just like, and it didn't look like it was like smelly or old. You know, like I can always tell. Like I could give like my whole like little one over and see what, and it was beautiful. And I was just like, oh my God. So I start pulling all this. She, I have a huge box of stuff. And she was just like, what about this? What about this? What about? So I'm I'm totally sweating at this point. I'm like freaking out. I'm like, this is like the gold mine of my life, right? I take this mm-hmm. all down. And this is one of those sales, because it was such a huge sale, um, that it was run by a company, like you can, I think this was like American, American something, I forget, but they um, they basically you hire this company to come in and like run the sale. So they're, they're in charge. basically. Mm-hmm. So she brings me down to the front and she was like, I had this huge bot. She tells the guy, oh, okay, she wants to buy this. Da, da, da. I was like, okay, great. Oh, and uh, side note, she's also like telling me how she wants to have a party at her house and have me bring all my coats and sh- she can sell them to all her friends. And she wants me to make her custom things. So I'm like, okay, like thinking like this lady's like my best friend. <laughs> So we get down there and I know the guy at the front because I've seen him at other sales before and he's kind of a hard ass. And, you know, but I was like, all right, this is my deal. So he goes and he's like, he comes into the room and he was like, I'm waiting by my box of fabrics to get a price. He goes, come here. You got to come over here. And he pulls me to the side. I was like, oh my God, this is like such a drama. Pulled me to another room. And he was like, she wants 500 for all of it. I was like, what? (laughs) Which, you know, honestly, in retrospect, if you're going to like sell it on eBay or something and like really comb through all this stuff, measure it. Make sure it's like mm-hmm. in good shape. You might be able to get that much if you like. But I'm also like, I'm buying bulk at an estate sale. And I just kind of like, yeah. I never, I just like, it just really threw me out. I was expecting like maybe 200 bucks. And I would have spent that on. Right. It, you know? But I was like, right, no yeah. way I can spend five hundred dollars on this like right now. I'm just like not in that place. And he was like, I know. I mean, you know, she's giving me a heart, right? You know, and he was like playing the the good guy. And I was like, It's cool. So I looked through the box and I ended up getting like the just the bangers that I like couldn't live without. I did get that, Mm -hmm. which I'm definitely going to make a jacket out of, but I'm waiting for someone to see it first and make sure I make the right size. Um, But yeah, so that was (laughs) kind of like a weird one that just like, it was a roller coaster, you know, because we're like, best friends, she takes me to the secret stash and then we come down and then I was like, oh, because it was just too expensive. But it was fun nonetheless, you know.
0: I mean, like, what do you think was going on with her?
4: You know, I think she, I don't know what they did. Uh, for work but it was this you know her parents I think had must have passed away and she mm-hmm. was very atta- I mean the home was beautiful I and mean, was probably like custom built it was a beautiful very European style home and mm-hmm. I think it was probably hard for her to like let go of stuff and that's probably why she had a team in there too because it's like you know it's a big house with a lot to sell and you just need someone to like manage the crowd you know I mean right, they were, like, right. they were like, pretty hard-ass I mean she must have said you know D- I, like I need to get money from this stuff because I saw a guy get into an actual fight over a drill, like a, just like a, a tool. Being like, I want it for <laughs> this and he's like, no, and they're like fighting about it. And I'm like, it was like, wow. you know, another thing I always go back to, and this is why I didn't like, I mean, I didn't have $500 to spend, but I also like if I get a weird vibe or I feel like people are being aggressive, I will immediately just leave. I just can't I, I oh, don't want that kind of energy. Totally. It's not worth it. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not an antiques dealer in the sense where like You know, I'm there mostly for sport. I do find great fabrics and stuff that I repurpose, obviously, for my business, but I'm not at that level where I'm like, you know what? There's more fabric in the world. I'm not going to (laughs) like fight somebody over this. You know,
0: it's just not worth it. Right, right. But, yeah, so right. I think
4: she, she must have, you know, she she was very friendly. It was weird. And she obviously didn't want to be the bad cop, you know. She came back down and she said, oh, did you not? And I was like, well, it was a little expensive. I couldn't really afford to take it all. She was like, oh, I understand, you know. And I was like, okay, whatever. It was fine. But, you know, I think they were just selling this home and it was probably hard. It's very hard when it's personal, you know, to sell things. Uh, it makes it harder mm-hmm. to like, let mm-hmm. go of it, you know. But who knows? I have no idea what her deal was.
0: It, I mean, for her to be there is so odd. You know,
4: yes, usually they should, she shouldn't have been there. I mean, yeah. really, she should have like let them, d- and anything that she was unsure of should have been off the table. And it's just mm-hmm. like stuff she doesn't she just wants to move, and they should have done their job, and that was it.
0: Yeah. But she was
4: there around. So that was because I noticed that, that the reason why I first noticed her is because she had like a little bit of an odd energy. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, you can tell people that are just there shopping and looking at stuff, but she had a little, she kept like kind of like, I don't want to say lurking. It wasn't creepy, but it was just like, she was kind of like around and I was like, what's this lady's deal? But yeah, that was kind of a thrilling one just because it was so out of my norm, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just keep thinking back to how weird it would be to be there with the person. Well, for one, it would be there, it would be weird to be the person who's there watching all their stuff get bought and people sort of like putting a value on your belongings that you've collected your whole life you know like that's pretty weird this
4: summer it was like my first sale out since covid and you know because i've i do have the antibodies uh and i was also like masked i was like you know what they're doing this like very like where you only have a certain people that come Mm -hmm. in at a time so i was like this is fine and that one was another killer i had some uh great photos from that one but it was um a guy, uh, her. It was his sister's house, so he, he was. And it, I could tell it was still very personal to him, you know. And it does make it a little bit harder. It also makes it harder as somebody who's buying stuff because, you know, you're trying to get like a little bit of a deal, mm-hmm. and you don't want to like. And this person's like, "Well, this is quality stuff," and you're like, "Okay." So it's it's a little bit harder to negotiate with somebody who's, you know, who's tied to it personally. But that one was cool because it was a um, a, a family that uh, made wallpaper custom. Oh, uh,
0: that paper.
4: is. Yeah, they they had well they I'm sorry, let me rephrase they they were in the fashion industry. They made fabric, but they were tied into some other wallpaper makers. So they had all this custom wallpaper made, which was amazing. Um and I that's what like kind of drew me to that whole sale. It was just like the walls. I'm I'm a real freak for wallpaper because I was just like love how people like committed so hard to such like bold designs. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, wow, you mm-hmm. are committing put this on your in your kitchen for you know at least five to ten years or whatever um so he yeah they had made wallpaper and they were really into textiles which is you know obviously like exactly what i want to the sale i want to go to and i got um mm-hmm. this metallic uh i think it was either jaguars or some kind of animal um yeah like tigers or something and they were like it was like a metallic flocked metallic which like flocked as like that velvet you know mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and so that was like a custom-made wallpaper so I got like a roll of that which is not huge but I think I might make like a headboard out of it or something at some point point. and I got a ton of really great uh bedding from them um they had like Mary Mecco and just like Vera just like fun like Vera um butterfly stuff and just some cool things like that but that was another example of somebody who was close to it but their home was like a time capsule and that's like another thing that I love about estate sales um I've always been somebody who's sort of like obsessed with things that feel like they're stuck in time um not really sure where that comes from but I've always had that ever since I was little I just like love to go to places that feel like like I loved the natural history museum when I was a kid because I Mm -hmm. always felt like, like stuck in time you know um so that's one thing that really like draws me to these sales as well is that feeling of like you know, untouched. This like house that was untouched, and that was one of those that like the killer wallpapers, shag carpeting, all the things oh, I love, and, it, yeah. and pristine, pristine condition. And they had a little bit of money, so they had custom things made too, like that matched the wallpaper. It was just like, oh, oh I love so that. Killer.
0: Yeah, yeah. I went to this auction a couple. I don't know. It might have been like a month ago. What well, was like? It was an online auction, but then you had to go to the actual place where the stuff was to pick it up, mm-hmm. and it was was incredible because it was the gift shop that was next to um, Roadside America. I don't know if you've ever been there, but no. it's, oh my God, you would love it. It's like, was built in the mid-century and it's just an entire miniature city. Oh, I've heard about this
4: place. Yeah, yeah. My friend and yeah.
0: My- okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's closed right now because of COVID, which is a bummer. Because I was like, we're here. We could go there. I bet no one would be in there and be safe. But anyway, so this, this right. gift shop that has been around since Roadside America opened. So it's like totally like mid-century time warp. Like it had the little counter, you know, where you could get like a soda and a hamburger. And like just they had so much dead stock from like 50, 60 years ago, like souvenirs. And they weren't part of the auction, but I heard they're having another one. So I'm constantly keeping my eye out. But Ooh. anyway, the bulk of the auction was actually for the house behind it that the owners had moved out of like about ten years ago. But it it was crazy. Like the guy who was working the like furniture pickup thing, he was like, "Yeah, it's sort of like the Winchester Mystery House in here because none of the hallways and stairs and anything made sense. Like you were just, it was sort of like they just right. kept adding on to this house, and it was just like ah, oh, it was that." Liberace excess aesthetic of like the 60s and 70s. Yeah. We're like, okay, well, the wallpaper matches the chair, which matches the curtains, you know, maybe the bedding or the couch. Like it's the same print everywhere. And then the carpet's going to be really thick and like crazy colors. And every single room was like that. It was bonkers. It was – oh it smelled like mildew, but it was great. <laughs> yeah.
4: Of course. Um, I just love that sense that like hard commit, you know, which I feel like has, you know, I think it, it's kind of, it kind of has come back in maybe certain fashion trends and things, but like in the home design, like that, like really hard commit to like a pattern where you get, you like, I love this crazy floral. I'm going to get it in my, um, for my shades, for my bedding, for my desk chair, for my blah, 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 you know? And then we like, I feel like it's, it changed so much in like, this, you know 80s and 90s everything went beige and like neutral tones Ugh, that's what i grew up like, in yeah me too my mom like had we had like a beige couch and my mom like wanted it to be like classy looking and yeah, divis- you know? and yeah. I'm always, like, i want the tacky christmas tree i want oh, the like
0: i know I all
4: the things and you know i think like growing up with that maybe that's why i sort of have like a a nostalgia for like you know i i am a seven you know 70s is really my bread and butter of like that look but like yeah that just that like bold prints and like really going for it I feel like we've lost that a little bit over uh, time.
0: bring it back bring back the suffocating print you know what I mean like yeah. I think actually that's a really strong and like sort of forward aesthetic right now because we've been in this gross like millennial minimalism thing for way too long yeah. like yeah oh great another picture of your apartment with three things in it great right you know, like so tired of it
4: I think we are kind of going forward towards that a little bit um with the wall like I mean I would really love to see like the wallpaper come back like that because that really like it's one of those things that just like will transform mm-hmm. a space immediately you know mm-hmm. that bold print um yeah, I think I think it's I think it's sort of happening in some ways but I mean even myself though like if I think about you know I rent so it's I'm not committing <laughs> as hard on that but um, you know but i think about that and I'm like could you everyone's like it's like it's a big tag word Is like is this livable you know can you live with this like in interiors mm-hmm. people think about that um and i guess people who had some i think it's two things it's people who had money would go mm-hmm. hard because they could change it and it would not matter to them the flip side of that people that went hard and then were like well i'm not gonna redo the wallpaper we we, we have it now we spent a lot of money on it mm-hmm. and it's gonna mm-hmm. this is how it is you know what i mean I think I've seen both of that where there's like families that you could tell like okay they just like went hard decorated and then it was like that yeah <laughs> you
0: yeah. know which is like I've been to a few cool. places like that uh there's a lot of that and like if you go to an estate sale in South Philly you'll see a lot of that too these ha- homes that have been they were decorated in the 60s or 70s and like never touched again and it's always like that incredible like yeah. maximalism aesthetic. Like very Louis Fourteenth, and like lots of yes. huge gold planters that maybe are shaped like swans or have fake ivory and like statues of the oh, Venus de Milo yes. and stuff like that. It's like incredible. It's Absolutely. Incredible.
4: The kind of like older Italian mm-hmm. families in South Philly. I f- I've bought a bunch yeah. of sales in that area um, that had that like, young, like kind of like strong, like almost like European influence that came in. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff in like the South Philly area.
0: I think. Th- yeah, I think there's still a ton there. Sometimes you go down some of the, like, yeah. s- like deep South Philly side streets and you look at the houses and, like, what's in their windows. Like, there's a lot of those, like, bay windows that are utilized as a place to show your collection of whatever it is. And you look in oh, those yeah. and you're like, oh, that house is sick inside. I can tell, you know? <laughs> yep. With, like, your seasonal dolls, you know? It's like yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, like, these seasonal dolls. But like, it's Halloween. We pull out the Halloween dolls and, you know. Totally. Um,
3: <laughs>
4: get, like, it's true like, yeah it's an <laughs> scenes and you're you know and it's like it is it's, it's kind of cool though it's like their little stage to like their bay window stage to like show off their collections
0: yeah I love that when we moved back to Philly I had like forgotten about that yeah and it just brought me so much happiness to like go down these streets one by one and look in everybody's bay windows yeah
4: and I think that also like I've always been sort of like you know, as someone who's been in like design and art my whole life or whatever. And, you know, there's like there's these trends of like making everything nice and like curated and like cute. And I sort of like, it's like the like punk rock in me that's sort of like, no, let's do the opposite. And I love these like people who are like, again, the hard commit of like, I'm gonna put my seasonal dolls out. Like, I don't care about trends. I don't care about being curated, you know? And it's just like this like total opposite of that, which I th- I find sort of like refreshing and Kind of satisfying yeah. to me in some way. I
0: know. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Me too. Well, do you have any other exciting stories? I know you do. I do. I, I'm, I. This is the sort
4: of my my the last. Let's save the best for last. Um. So. Okay. Yeah. So this one is I call it Poodlegate. I don't know why. It's just got like <laughs> the, the name Poodlegate. So basically, it started which how it usually starts. I wake up and I was like, let me see if there's anything popping tonight, today. You know, sale wise. And I'm looking through my stuff and I start seeing all these pictures and I'm like, oh my God, this place looks totally sick. And I'm usually, when I look for estate sales, I'm looking for stuff that I actually want to buy. Like again, fabrics, bedding, things like that, that I'm making for coats or whatever. But this one was not that, but I was like so fascinated with it that I was like, wow, it was just packed full of stuff. Like this woman collected Staffordshire dogs. Um, obsessed with poodles. I didn't even know the extent of it, but these pictures online, I was just like, this can't be real. I mean, I've seen a lot of shit. Um, Mm -hmm. I was like, really like for me to say that is kind of like a big, I was like, this looks really sick. And so I was like, you know, I'm looking at, I'm like, well, I mean, maybe I'll go next. I'll go tomorrow. I don't know, whatever. And then as I'm looking at it, I start panicking and I'm like, I have to go today. I was like, I need to, I just got to get in the car and go because this is like too good to be pass up. Mm -hmm. David was like, my partner was like, okay, let's go. So we hop in the car, we get, we go out there and it's a very modest looking house. Like I was like, this is it. I was like, okay. You know, it wasn't big. It was just like a, a cute little brick house, whatever. I get to the door and there was a huge sign on the door that says like, enter at your own risk like (laughs) I was like oh shit like this is on
0: yeah it's already to a good start (laughs) yeah I was
4: like wow I was like okay I was like you know and again I have like fanny pack I am like I come prepared like I have like you know I'm all ready so I walk in and I just like immediately lose my shit when I walk in there's this huge like standing doll that's probably not doll, but like a you know, maybe three feet off the ground. It was just a clown, a giant clown. I was like, okay. So the front <laughs> room was filled with clowns, uh, weird dolls. I mean, just like a ton of dolls all over. And they had pulled, mm-hmm. I don't know where all this shit came from, honestly, because again, the small house, there wasn't a ton of storage. I mean, maybe it was in the basement. They did have a big basement, but they pulled everything out so you could see it. So it was like, Clowns, you know, tons of dolls. I mean, I, all over every surface. I was like, okay. So then I, I was like, I'm not into clowns. I'm gonna go to the next room. I go in the kitchen. Tons of like, you yeah, know, nothing like super fancy, but just like tons of 70s, 60s glassware. You know, all the t- all the kitchen appliance, like everything's out. I go to the next room, which was a dining room, and that's when I really lost it because it was all Staffordshire dogs. And I mean, I'm not a Staffordshire dog collector, <laughs> but they have become like kind of trendy over the past like five years kind of I feel like they kind of came back mm-hmm. and a lot of people are like f- featuring that like image and things first thing I think is like this collection is worth a lot because they're really expensive to be quite honest I mean I again I didn't know all the details about it because I'm not like a collector but I started looking stuff up and I was like wow and I was like maybe I should get some of these for like I was doing some kind of prop styling stuff at the time with the company I was working with. Mm-hmm. I was like, I have this photo shoot coming up. And so I just start grabbing all the cool looking ones and I start putting them. And so this lady starts helping me. She was like, Okay. She was work she was a friend of the family, like working the sale. So this huge pile of now ceramic Staffordshire dogs. And I was like, Okay, let me continue to look around the rest of the house. So I put those aside. And I'm just also just blown away by the sheer volume of her collection. I mean, I've honestly never seen anything like that in my entire life of like thrifting and going to these sales. So then I walk up the stairs. You walk up the stairs and there was two bedrooms. It was a really small upstairs. Walk up the stairs. Mm -hmm. I immediately um, am like, I just see right at the top of the stairs is a huge bed and there is a cabbage patch collection again, like I've never seen in my life.
0: Oh my God. Like,
4: like <laughs> honestly, it was probably like 500 Cabbage Patch Kids, maybe 400. I mean, what? in the hundreds, at least 300. I, I, I oh remember. my God. I you, telling tell you, hovering a queen size bed, like piled up, piled onto the floor. I took photos of all this and maybe we can throw some on the website if people are curious. Um, yes. but just piled on the floor, piles of Cabbage Patch kits. Okay. So I was just like, holy shit. And I, you know, I was like a young kid in the eight. I was like, this is this kind of had this little nostalgia moment. I was like, wow. So, but then I started like talking to people. It was like her, it was her sort of distant family that was running the sale. And she was like, oh yeah, they, you know, she has all the birth certificates and all the paperwork, because I guess, you know, they used to come with like
0: mm-hmm. all the information. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah. Oh, no.
4: So she was very organized, this woman as well. Which is something that's like, you know, you don't see with some of these like, you know, these like hoarder sales where you're like, just so much shit and they're just like everywhere. This woman was mm-hmm. like, extremely clean, extremely organized. So that was another thing that was special about this. So it wasn't just like a bunch of shit everywhere. Um, so that blew my mind. So then I go into the master bedroom, ugh her bed just her bed furniture, like her you know like bedroom furniture and setup was a crushed mustard velvet
3: Wow um,
4: with like the bed, the walls she had this insane like um, headboard and you know matching two lamps on the side, the very classic like 60s sort of look. Mm-hmm. So there's in there she had an entire <laughs> an entire um, collection of Christmas village people. You know the ones that are <laughs> animatronic that like you know like are I don't know three feet tall. So yeah, I the and then you know, and she didn't have. I didn't really see much about like clothes and stuff like that. I, there wasn't really that much left there. Um, but I did get like an old like red suitcase that was just kind of pretty. Honestly, I needed to put all the shit I was buying in something, so I, I got I bought this red suitcase. Um, <laughs> anyway, so and I and then that's when I found a pile of um photo albums in there. And so I started, I just sat in the bed and started looking at them. And that's when I just was like, totally fell in love with this woman. Her name is Joyce. And she worked for the uh, New York Veterans Association for years. And she loved poodles. She was a poodle owner. So she had poodles her entire life. Um, And she had photos of her and her poodles. And then she like, which is super sweet. So she obviously loved poodles, collected Tons of poodle stuff, as well as the Staffordshire dogs. So lots of poodle ceramics. I actually got a um, one of those, again, like maybe two and a half feet off the ground, like ceramic poodles that like sit in your front door kind of thing. Um, so she, mm-hmm. she's a real collector of that. But she also made handmade dolls. She's very into dolls. had her seasonal I figured yeah of course I mean obviously and she photographed them all so there was a whole photo album of course in these super 70s like early 70s fabric covered photo albums that like I just was obsessed with anyway Um, so she had all of her seasonal dolls that she had made that she photographed and then documented all the dates on so that you could like flip through Um, and so she had that in there and then she also just took photographs of her like trinket displays throughout the house and also dated those which were amazing Um, and so I was just like oh my god and I found some of the Staffordshire stuff in there but it was mostly like dolls and stuff so all these really cool photo albums plus like family photos Um, I think she definitely had a sister uh, that looked very similar to her so it was very cute because it was like her and her sister with the poodles like during Christmas and stuff like that. Um <laughs> it was like a sweet. It was just like, I don't know, it just like really warm my heart. I was like Joyce, I love you. You like I love your commitment and your organization because that's something I just totally relate to. Um anyway, so I I you know I was like oh, I gotta and I told I, I was like I have to have these photo albums. So I, I took the photo albums down put it in my pile of stuff. Um then I went to the basement to look and <laughs> She also collected cuckoo clocks. So there was a whole collection. Of course she did. Yeah, of course. Wow. <laughs> so a whole collection of cuckoo clocks. <laughs> um, and mind you, let alone these huge collections that she had, she just had some like random stuff mixed in the mix too that was like cool and weird. You know what I mean? Like like a ceramic mm-hmm. tiger and like just like other stuff that even if the collections weren't there, it would have been kind of a fun house, like stuck in time anyway. But these collections on top were just so oh, next level. Um, and so I went to the basement. Actually, my partner, had noticed this first and he pointed it out to me he was like look what she did so she basically had a huge locker in the basement like or like filing like metal filing cabinets that were filled with vhs tapes and she must have recorded movies and tv shows off the television and then she made her own like dewey decimal system of like organization for (laughs) these for these to be, that was incredible. It was a giant three ring binder. Everything was written in pencil because, like, as you did back in the day, she could you know if you made a mistake you could erase it. So she had a whole catalog like this with this elaborate number system of like how she entered it in and like what category it was in and then like how it translated to the VHS tape, which just really like you know and it, it, it sounds so silly like whatever, no big deal. But it was just one of those things where I was like kind of blown away and I definitely related to this as far as like really loving organization and sort of like being so committed to like making something nice the way that you wanted it so you could like find it and like I don't know there was something like really cool about that because not everybody's like that you know and I don't know that really like Mm -hmm. spoke to me that whole like just like level of hard commit to like I'm gonna do this thing and like I'm gonna make a huge system for it I think she did a little bit of that kind of work in her career. Um, She was apparently Mm -hmm. very successful in her career and she like made some money. Um, And so she like, I don't know. It was just interesting. So yeah, so that was that. And then, you know, so I went upstairs and I was like, okay, so I like got all my stuff together. I ended up getting probably about 25 Staffordshire dogs, um, which some of them I gave to other people and stuff and stuff um and then I took I got some of the photo albums and a few other things um but it was just like such a mind-blowing experience and and I ended up so the woman another like one of the women that was there that was like working the sale was like let me give you my she was kind of being weird honestly I didn't know what she was getting at but she was like let me give you my number in case you know I was like what and I was like, all right, sure. Like, I was like, sure, I'll take your number. She's like, you, in case you want to come, I was like, okay, like, I don't know what you're talking about. So I left. Yeah, this is weird. Yeah. And I was just a little bit like, <laughs> all right, I'll take your number, lady. Like, she was just like, well, if, you know, if there's anything left or you want to come back. And I was like, is she trying to make side deals, like, you know, on the family? And I, I was like, whatever. I took her number. And to be quite honest, I went home and I had like post sale, like, weird feelings where I was like, I really wanted to get, I was like, I should have stayed longer and look. I just, I, it's, this is a weird thing when you like have an experience like this. Like mm-hmm. it was such a like one in a lifetime kind of thing that I was like, did I miss anything? So I don't know what possessed me, but I texted this woman <gasps> that, that week. So that was weekend. I texted her. I said, Hey, I just want to see if there's anything. I mean, is the sale still going on? Or I just wanted to go back. I don't know what was drawing me, but I had to go back. Right. And she said, she was like, Oh, so I find out she's not being creepy. She was the next door neighbor. And she was very close to this woman, Joyce. And so she was helping the family with the sale. She also took her poodles, her elderly poodles, which Aww, totally, like, warm.
0: yeah.
4: Hair. So she had taken her poodles when she passed away because she wanted them to, like, you know, just, like, be in the family kind of. And I was like, oh, I like, almost started crying. I was like, okay. So this woman was not being creepy. She was basically just like, there's a lot of stuff here. Like, call me if you want to come back and get more is basically why she gave me your number. And I was like, okay. So I started talking to her, and she's like, oh, we're going to have another sale this weekend. And I was like, oh, my God. This was meant to be. So... I Called up my good friend, my friend Luke, who is an artist and he does these amazing Christmas installations. Um, he's kind of a Christmas freak and but he, he's really an art like a Renaissance man artist. And so he does these um beautiful Christmas like extravaganza experiences in his barn outside.
0: Wow, that's so cool!
4: Yeah, very cool. I love him to death. Um, and so I called him and I was like, dude do you want to go back to the sale with me this weekend? I already like blown it up. People were like freaking out. You know how many DMs I like, got on, on Instagram about the sale? People were like, what the fuck? You know? So he was like, yes. So I pick him up. We go to back out to the sale. Cause I was like, there's a lot of Christmas stuff, you know, and he's a Christmas nerd. So I was like, okay, you might want to check this out. So we go back and I was like, but I'm not going to take anything. Of course, like hilarious. Um, and so I get back there. As soon as I got back, got there, there was like this kind of like odd looking guy sort of leaving with like, and I was like, what's that dude's deal? So I get to the front and I start talking to this lady who I had texted and I was like, Hey, you remember me? She's like, Oh yeah, whatever. So I asked her all the Cabbage Patch kids were gone. And I was like, Oh my God, somebody bought all the Cabbage Patch kids. I was like, what, what happened? And she was like, Oh, there was a guy, a collector came in, of course, like this. And I think it was the guy that when I was, she she was like, Oh, this guy. And I think it was (laughs) like, ah, it's kind of like a. Like,
0: I collect cabbage magic kids. Like, whoa. Okay. Yeah, I have so many questions. Yeah, it was. I know his type though. He's
4: a dealer. He's just like I grew up with dealers yeah. around my mom, and I know it's like a, it's kind of like eccentric crew. You're like, who knows why they end up getting into what they get into? Like specifically, the niche thing. But so, mm-hmm. like, oh my God, he sold, You sold all the caps. She's like, yeah, one guy bought everything. And I was like, oh wow. Cause you know, you think like, oh, you get a couple here, a couple there, whatever. No. One yeah. Guy, yeah. Like, I'll take the whole thing. I mean, there was, I, like I said, I'll, when I, you see the pictures, you're going to be like, oh my God. So he bought them all. And I was like, how much did he pay for that? Like just out of curiosity, $3,500 bought all That's it? Of them. Cause I thought you were going to
0: say- $35,000. Yeah.
4: Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I was like 35 like almost $4,000 on a bunch of Cabbage Patch Kids. And I think what the, well, what I think that happened in that collection, I mean, I'm sure they got a deal. Also, they were being, they were, I mean, to be real, all their prices were underpriced because when you have that kind of volume, you have to get yeah. Rid of them. So like all the Staffordshire dogs sure. I got, I was looking up. They're like some of them are like worth three hundred dollars for a pair. You know
0: no, I, mean? I was just googling them while you were talking about it, and like, I mean, of course this is what people have them listed at. Who knows what sure. they're going to sell for? But some of them were like six, seven, yeah, eight hundred dollars. I think I saw like one Kings Lane was selling them for twelve hundred dollars. Yes, I mean, there's it's, a full range because they,
4: you know, yeah. I looked this up when I was because I was I don't usually buy for the money to resell like that's not how I approach these kind of things Mm -hmm. but I was curious because I was like how much are these worth and so because there was a dealer right behind me on the Staffordshire Dogs when I was there the first time and I you know not to toot my own horn but I was like picking all the cute ones you know I was like I have good taste I'm like this one of
2: course
4: yeah and the guy behind me was like whatever you don't want, I'll take. Cause he was a he was a, sold on eBay. I was like, okay, I got you, bro. So I like picked out my 25 and I was like, I, you know, how many dogs am I going to take? I was going to give a few to a friend who I know likes them and use them for a photo shoot. But like, I was like, I need to like get real here. So I gave him a bunch and he just took everything. I mean, everything, because he was just, some of them were duds, but he could sell. I mean, there's, you know, there's definitely some really beautiful stuff. And when I was looking, I, I got one pair of black ones, like two black dogs that were mm-hmm. really pretty. And they were hand painted like with gold details. And the eyes were like these old, um, like glass beads. So some of the ones that are older wow. like that really can go for a lot of money. And then there's like ones that are mm-hmm. like new and cheaper. It's all about like the mold and how they were made. It gets very deep into like the world of Staffordshire dogs. But, Going back to it, like everything they kind of sold was, I think, very well priced because they had so much stuff to move, you know. But the guy with the cabbage patch, he bought them all. And I think what happened was a lot of them were just like whatever, regular, not worth that much. But there was a few bangers in there that he could probably get a lot of money for. And that's why he was just like, I'll take it all. Because even for a collector, I mean, a lot of these people, I mean, we don't... Everyone doesn't have a like three grand to throw. I mean, it sounds like not that much, but that's like, you know, a chunk of change for someone to throw down. So he obviously had to mm-hmm. have a few bangers in there that he could get some good money for and make it worth it, you know? Like the conditions yeah, totally. with all their paperwork and pristine condition and all that stuff. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So the second time around, I went in, the cabbage patch were all, were all gone. A lot of, the, most of the Staffordshire dogs were gone, but there was a lot of furniture and a lot of stuff left. And so I brought Luke upstairs. And he, I was like here and he's like, oh my God, I have to buy these dolls. Cause he does, I said like these Christmas, big Christmas, like beautiful, tasteful, but like sometimes weird arts, artful, like installations of Christmas stuff. So he ended up buying, I think it was 15 or 20 of the animatronic Christmas characters um, that he was going to then probably make custom out well he i was gonna probably then make custom outfits for them um we were, <laughs> we were we were thinking about maybe he was thinking about maybe doing them like all in like white robes and go like culty with it anyway so he was like i gotta buy these dolls you know he's in my in my world of my kind of people who just like yeah. <laughs> Has that yeah, totally. thing where he's like i have to have these dolls like, okay so we negotiated the dolls down whatever they gave us a deal and uh, I did find two of my... Actually, it was two of my favorite things that I got on the second time around. Um, I found a poodle, like a a twin poodle. So it was like two poodle heads as a lamp, which I hadn't seen before. Ooh, that was really that cool. I bought that. Yeah. And then as we're leaving, I was really good. Because I was like, I'm not here to buy stuff. I did my my round the first time. I just wanted to like... I was so hyper and crazy the first time I went that I needed to go back and just sort of like... I don't know. It's, this is kind of goes back to my whole, like why I love to do this. I, I felt like a real kinship with this woman and like how she collected things and how she like, I don't know, she was kind of like, you know, it was like create it's her creative outlet, you know? And I just needed to go back and I wanted to find out a little bit more about her and like who she was a little bit. Um, and I ended up talking to her niece and it was really sweet and she told me a lot about her and, and you know, it was just like a nice, I just feel like I needed to like, I don't know, like have flush out this like weird experience I had. Anywho. And so we're walking out the door and, you know, putting all Luke's, you know, weird Christmas dolls in the, in my car and there's a garage. I was like, Oh Lord, help me. Oh no. I like, okay, <laughs> I was like, I'm not gonna, but I did see this painting and I had to have, it was just like, it's five bucks. Take it. I was like, okay. And it was like a, an oil painting. Of two poodles that she had custom made of her actual
0: poodles. Oh, (laughs) I love
4: that. Like, that has to come in my house. And I have it in like hanging up in my house now. And I totally love it. And I think about Joyce and like her commitment to like her poodles and her collecting and her organization. And I'm just like, I get inspired by that. I don't know. It's just like, I feel sort of like it it makes me, it's it's exciting. And I, I just feel like inspired by these people and their commitment levels a little bit. So that was like my favorite to date. Um, Sort of epic. I know that word is a lot really overused these days, but this one was (laughs) epic.
0: Epic sale. It sounds epic. I mean, I don't know how you're going to top that one. I just can't even imagine. It's funny that happens to me, and then I get depressed, and I'm like, okay, it's never gonna.
4: I'm never gonna find the. You know. But then I realize, you know what? They're all Uh different, and there's different things. For example, not as like. That one was weirdly emotional for me. And I can't really describe it. I can't really say why. But I felt very, like, a lot of crazy energy when I was there. And I was just like, oh, my God. And I just was, like, so blown away by just, like, the level of, like, the stuff that she had. And, like, there was something that was drawing Mm -hmm. me to that. I don't always feel like that with every sale I go Mm -hmm. to. Like, I went to one on the way down to the beach couple years ago um and it was listed as the sale of a magician's home and I was like oh okay <laughs> I mean that sounds amazing and it was a horse. I mean I actually got I got more stuff there that I can actually use in my like I got fabric there I found some clothes that I actually liked you know like some stuff like that I didn't feel the same like weird like manic <laughs> sort of connection to that house as I uh-huh. did Grace's house, um, but the magician's home was was amazing because um, he was a magician, and also like another one that was like stuck in the seventies, and it was just like yeah. the house was kind of, like, time capsuled. Yeah, and he had like crazy magician stuff, like. Um, a huge one of those boxes that a woman or, or assistant or whoever stands in, and they can, like cut them in half. Yeah,
0: did you buy it? No, like, what the hell am I going to do
4: with that thing? <laughs> they would literally divorce me if I like. You know them what?
0: Off. I know that if Dustin and I had gone to that one, he would have brought that home. Like, I mean, this, this, this and struggle. I get
4: it. You had a house, and you had <laughs> space to like make a make it cool, like make it like a coffee table or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's awesome. but I've also learned over the years that I have to edit. And mm-hmm. I have to be like, um, just be like, okay, am I going to die without this? Like, am I going to like regret it for the rest of my life? And, you know, and if it's big, if it's something that's a real commitment, I have to be obsessed with it. And I have, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Another thing I've learned is I just document it now and it makes me feel better <clears throat> because I don't need the magician's thing, but it was so cool that of course I documented the whole space and, you know, ha- have that to sort of like remember that experience. But he also collected like vintage smut which was awesome it was oh, like oh my god yeah. so it's all this magician like you know all these like abracadabra magazine and like all this like weird shit and then there was like a lot of like 70s and 80s like gag gifts like sexy gag gifts of like you know like there was one that was like a barbell for your dick i was like oh my god oh. So it was, like, Stuff like that it was like so cheesy yeah. but you know um but it was fun it was super fun sale and that was like also like one that i was like you know they had he got great like 70s towels and bedding and weird stuff so i actually got more stuff from that that like was but i didn't i, I didn't feel the same kind of like manicness that i did when i was with right right yeah just different um and you know and i do i, I always i'm like i'm never going to top that but then i do and then i'm like it's <laughs> not top yeah. but i you know, similar kind of like amazing experiences like that.
0: It is interesting because like we've we've covered just so many collections in this episode already. Like okay, so the right. husky breeders. Oh wait, what did they collect other yeah. than huskies?
4: Oh, they collected huskies. They were more. They were kind of like earthy, and they were teachers, and they had a ton of beautiful books.
0: So they were more like book people. Yeah, like I could see that. Media, um, but yeah, and uh, and then the Greek heiress, yeah. she just had clothes, tons of clothes. Like, too many clothes. Yeah. yeah. And then Joyce, I mean, like Joyce had all the collections. Yeah. He you was know? a collector
4: in for his form.
0: Which is like, is a personality type for sure, you know? Absolutely. And then the magician with his like gag gifts, I think I, I find that so endearing. I can't explain mm-hmm. it. It's like not, it's not my aesthetic. I wouldn't have bought any of that if I was at his house at that estate sale, but like right. it's amusing and it, it points to a certain type of character that I can appreciate. Absolutely. Absolutely. It makes it look funny. Yeah. I probably was like, I'm probably related to someone like him, you know? Uh, so right. I, I could see like one of my uncles being like that. You and I were talking about this when we were preparing for the episode, like this idea of collecting. And one thing that you do see when you go to these estate sales or these auctions is like, you see a person's entire life's work of collecting right in front of you. And it's both yep. sad, but then like in the case of Joyce, it's like beautiful, you know? Mm-hmm. I I think it's so fascinating.
4: Yeah. For me, it feels like – and I get, I'm pretty serious about this and I don't – you know, I like I said earlier, I don't like a competitive vibe at these sales, right? I just feel like – um, it just like freaks me out. I, I do – take this very seriously where i feel like people need to be respectful in someone's like home and be like this is someone's home and this is someone's life and in a Mm -hmm. weird way i do feel like i mean it's just a silly old estate sale but i do feel like honored to be able to go into someone's space and intimately look at all the things that were left behind and like this story that they left behind of like who they were yeah And it's really, no. it's just like, like, there's something like really special about that. And it feels like spiritual to me in a weird way. I know it's like a little like intense, but like, I don't know. It's just sort of like, it really can be very beautiful, you know? And, um, and I do feel like it's my job as somebody who like loves and honors those older, like just like old objects and like culture and, you know, collections and people's like just obsessions. I feel like I need to, I sort of like have this obligation to sort of like take some of these things and pass them on to to other people who I know will love them. I do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, my friend's going to love that. Or like bringing Luke back mm-hmm. to have him be like, oh, I'm going to love those Christmas dolls or whatever. And I think that there is something like that feels really satisfying to me to be able to like see this stuff, honor it, and help it like kind of live on in a little bit of a weird way.
0: Yeah. No, I love it. I mean, because we're looking at someone's sort of like life work, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, and i I don't know, like I the auction where like at the uh, gift shop that we went to, uh, yeah. the woman was actually there, uh, who was part owner, she and her husband of the gift shop, and there was this whole case of all of these dollhouse furniture and accessories, and they weren't for sale at that moment, but she saw me looking at it and we started talking for a long time. Like her, her mother was actually the one who'd gotten into it and they'd given her a special corner in the store. Some of that stuff had been in there for like 40 years and then it transitioned into how much we loved raccoons and like stories about raccoons. And then she was like, come and meet my cats. And I went and met her cats. <laughs> yeah. We got to hear the whole story of the cats and how they came into her life. And, th- and then they got a dog, but the cats aren't allowed in the house. That's why all the furniture was so nice, but. They're using the proceeds from the auction to build a catio for the cats. She was so delighted about it. Anyway, it was just like – I can't explain it, but like my favorite part of that – Yes, we got some really cool stuff at that auction. Was like hearing the stories Mm -hmm. around all of the stuff and the memories and like – It's like now I feel like I got to take on some of her memories and carry them around for her, you know? And spread them to other people and I just – I'm like going to tear up, but I just, I think especially because I hadn't really talked to anyone who wasn't my husband in a really long time. (laughs) Yeah. It was
4: like. It feels very human. You know, you're in this space. Yeah. Yeah. There's oftentimes, sometimes can be a death involved or someone getting older or like, you know, there is some of that element to some of these sales. And, and so there is kind of an emotional element to it. And you're right when you say like, you know, I feel, you feel like you're sort of like in some small way, like holding on to helping them like keep alive these little memories of like the things that were important to them in their life. You know, I even mm-hmm. like, I know that sounds a little bit creepy, but like, I even like with permission asked to take a photo or like buy a f- whatever album of the person that lived there.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
4: I have a collection of like some of the, like my favorite sales, like the Husky breeder. Um, and I, you know, I just have this like collection of them and it helps me remember, you know, the sale and who they were a little bit. And like, I don't know. I just find that sort of like comforting and especially as like, somebody myself who doesn't have kids and most likely will not have kids in my life like as you get older you're like okay what happens to like all my shit when I get older and you know and right and then, right you know it's just, it's all stuff you just you can't take it with you you know it's just stuff that you're gonna leave behind and it, at the end of the day it is all stuff but there is like memories attached to things and I think there's something that's sort of comforting to me to know that like you know like these husky breeders who didn't have kids and you know Anyone that was connected with them probably came to the house and took any personal items. But there's something nice and sort of comforting to know that, like, they made a weird impression on me a little bit. And I'll carry that with me now, you know. And it's, like, this little memory
0: that kind of keeps, keeps alive in, in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really beautiful. I mean, I think, you know, some people buy secondhand or love thrifting or whatever because it's cheap. It's like a bargain. Right. And there is – I mean, th- like, don't get me wrong love that part of it too. But sure. for me, my favorite part is the human aspect of it, of like seeing what people valued, uh, yep. see what people held on to for a long time. Like one of the things I love to buy when I'm thrifting is old cookbooks from like the 60s and 70s, like especially like either something that has really gross, crazy photography or like the ones that would be made by like the PTA or like the women's auxiliary of the VFW and reading all the the recipes that like different women contributed that they made at home all the time that like that was their thing that everyone knew right. them for. Like oh Doris is coming, she'll make the jello cake, you know? Right. I just I just love feel like the stories that my brain yep. can create. I think it's really inspiring. Yes. I also just like love people. Like yeah sometimes <laughs> I'm like God I just hate people would they stop going out for brunch and spreading COVID. But like <laughs> in the grand scheme of things I'm obsessed with humans and their stories and the things that they do.
4: Yeah, me too. And that's, I mean, the cookbooks are, I used to collect cookbooks as well. And that's, I love seeing the ones that are, you know, the, like the community of like the sewing circle that made their cookbook. Yeah, yeah. it really is like, it is like storytelling. I mean, I also, like I've said to before too, it's like I love, even on the, the clothing tip, like I always go for the thing that was handmade by somebody. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a store thing. You know, I, those are the ones that I'm like, ooh, somebody made this weird patchwork skirt. Cause it It is kind of like part of their history and their life. And um, I just find that a lot more interesting. And I do love a deal too. Don't get me wrong. yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's also recycling. I mean, that's something I didn't realize until I got older, you know, is that, like, there's so much stuff in the world already, and a lot of times it's perfectly good stuff. And sometimes, I mean, there's certain things that you need to buy new. I get it. Yeah. But there's so much stuff out there that's already exists, and, like, you know, we have that thing where as soon as someone buys it, and then it completely loses its value, like a book, right? Or, you yeah, know, like clothes. a appliance clothes, everything, you buy it at full price. And then, you know, if someone tried to sell me a waffle maker at, you know, $45 or whatever they bought it for, I'd be like, get the hell out of here. But I'm like five bucks. All right. So it just immediately loses its value because there's just so much stuff in the world. But I always buy I mean, I just find it to be, I mean, thrifty because yeah, you're saving money, but also just in the sense of like so much stuff out there already. I don't need to go buy that thing new. There's plenty of them. Totally.
0: Totally. Our policy in our house is that when it comes to like home goods, especially, because like, God, people buy a lot of that stuff constantly, right? We don't buy new home goods on any level unless it's one of those things. Like a space heater is kind of dodgy to buy secondhand from what I hear, right? But like in general, we are like – You know, anything we need for the kitchen, we try to find it secondhand before we actually buy it new. And it always ends up being better anyway. And same thing with furniture. And, you know, yeah, it means our house isn't like some like slick, minimalist, like West Elm daydream kind of situation. But that's also like not who we are. You know, I mean, you and I, we're both a fan of the velvet couch. So you get it. Well, that's like the ultimate
4: finding the really beautiful beautiful velvet couch, like the printed ones. That's like yeah. Not?
0: I have I have a floral velvet couch that my grandma found for me at the thrift store in York for 25 bucks. Oh, I've seen it. It was almost it. <laughs> yes, you know. No one had I swear to God, no one had ever actually sat on it before us. I mean, you know, I'm I don't know if your grandparents were like this, but my grandmother had a living room at her house. Well, she had like two, right? She lived in that yeah. really classic, like mid-century ranch style sort of house and so there was like a family room which also had amazing furniture but that was where we like watched tv and played and stuff and then she had this like formal formal uh, like living room I don't know i I would every yeah. once in a while sit in there with her and we would just like be fancy or something but it was all like the most insane furniture with like shag green carpeting like all of the oh it was so so incredible and I you know it was like the lamp still had the plastic wrap on the shades you yeah. know like that kind You're of thing and I that.
4: It was like friends' <laughs> guests. It wasn't like the hangout, and that was such a like yeah. an old school way uh, of doing it. Yeah,
0: yeah, totally. And so that's definitely where our couch came from—some sort of house like that where that was in the fancy living room. Now, yeah. I, now I take a nap on it, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs>
4: okay, you know I'm, I'm a big believer too, and like I, I've kind of I'm sort of anti that. Where I'm like, if I'm gonna buy it, I'm gonna use it. You know what I mean? Like I don't want to do this. Like oh, I can't. Have that it's too precious. Like I'm like. That's like, sometimes I break vintage glasses and I'm like, you know what? It's okay. It was, it lived a long life and it's broken now and I have to get over it, you know?
0: You know, when you're a kid, like you don't really have that much stuff. So everything is pretty precious to you. And so my grandma would always give me like stationery and calendars she got in the mail or like, you know, they would send like address labels and, you know, just stuff she would get in the mail for free as like some sort of marketing and, uh. I would always hold on to all of those things, like I hoarded them, and then yeah. one day in junior high, my mom threw it all out. And she was like, "Well, oh if you wanted it, you should have used it. And you know, well, right. I'm in therapy because my mom is like that, but <laughs> also, she was right. like it made up it yeah. made up a, a really good point to me that like if you love it, you should use it. Yeah, you know, I agree. So that's yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, yeah, yeah
4: I, I definitely, I feel like it's silly to have things like just sitting on a shelf and, um, you know, it, that's kind of defeats the purpose. But I remember when my grandmother passed away, uh, I was very close to her and she, not that she had like such amazing collections or anything like that, but um, I just remember as a kid, you know, whenever you we were at my grandmother's house, I was safe. Like, I had a lot of family stuff going on, and I just knew I was, like, safe there. It was, like, a place that I would, like, explore. I would just, like, go through her bathroom and, like, look at through her makeup, and, like, it was very exciting for me. And so when she passed away, which was devastating, I think I was, like, 13 or 12-ish, um, uh, her three daughters, which was my mom and my two aunts, uh, who had not had a great relationship, it was, like, it was a nightmare, they like, the, mm-hmm. the, the dealing with the house you know mm-hmm. and everybody was yelling and screaming and I was sent outside on the lawn because I you know it was just like such a nightmare and I was so sad because nobody let me look through her stuff because they were just so crazy and fighting and like I did they were like gotta get out of here and I still I had dreams about that for years and maybe that's part wow. of why I love doing this. but I was like oh I finally get to go through like just her like her her drawer of scarves or like her you know makeup drawer or like little things like her perfume stuff like nothing of value it wasn't like that but i just right. i just like go through and like take a few of this, like the magical memento things that I felt. And I never got to do that. And I was so devastated. And I still talk about, obviously I'm a grown woman now and I still talk about it, but I used to dream about it for years that I would, I would go through and be able to go through all our stuff in the basement and just like have that moment. Um, And so maybe I'm getting out a little bit of that. (laughs) I (laughs) I was obviously like drawn to that kind of that kind of, uh, you know, meditative behavior, because I've actually, I've talked to other people and read a few, I mean, not a ton of articles online, but there's been a few about like, how this idea of like, kind of thrifting and looking through people's stuff is extremely meditative for people, because you kind of like, zone out, and I, it's definitely for me, and I don't even think about I mean, I'll be there, I'll lose track of time. Uh-huh. And be like, oh my God, I've been in this house for two hours. Like, how is that even possible? So you kind of like, it's this like weird sense of like meditating in a weird way too, I think.
0: That's so interesting. I, I can see that. I do find like thrifting, yard sailing to be very cathartic beyond beyond the like, I'm buying the thrill of the hunt. It just feels right. nice.
4: It does. It's like
0: kind of like weirdly
4: relaxing or something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The, yeah. I'm not a psychologist, but I definitely know I've had other people- talk about that you know it's that that sense of it's like similar when people talk about like i start knitting or you know that meditate like that like Mm -hmm. that thing that you do that you just kind of can zone out um and like the world doesn't exist for like a little bit you know and there's definitely that kind of feeling for me yeah as well
0: yeah i like that i like that so you said that you thought you not not tips for estate selling but maybe some just like etiquette perhaps yeah
4: yeah i definitely i think that um when you go to any state sale, any like any kind of yard sale, garage sale, any of those kind of things, always bring cash. I was going to
0: ask, I was Not, wondering if you could pay with a card. I mean, some
4: people do like Venmo now. Um, mm-hmm. I have been to sales recently where they'll be like, you know, have their their Venmo big so you can just Venmo them and they'll just be like, yep, got it. But I would just always bring cash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I'm a big advocate of just like being respectful. Don't be weird. You know, don't be like, I mean, I know everyone wants a great deal. Everybody wants to get the thing that they're looking for. But, you know, this is someone's home, especially someone's family, if it's their family Mm -hmm. there. It's like, you know, I would just, that's a little advice for me. And if you're really hardcore, you're going to want to get there early.
0: I mean, i have been to sales where
4: I get there early, but, like, again, I'm not looking for, like, furniture and that kind of stuff. But there'll be a guy who's a furniture dealer who will show up, you know probably before it even starts which is kind of a no-no unless you have permission um and he'll just come up with a truck and just take everything in the house so that's you know if you're depending on how how hardcore you want to roll with it i would definitely try to get there <laughs> on the early side if you're doing yes. it for fun don't worry about it but um and bring your own bags i think that's a good idea too um and you know and also just like a little side note like people are always like i have friends who see my posts of all the sales I've been to and been like oh my god these are amazing like I want to come with you and I'm like okay and I brought a few people most of the time it's fine but like it's not always pretty so you know the reality is like if you're squeamish or if you don't like like you know icky whatever it's probably not for you because it's it is one of those things like you know, you're looking through homes. Sometimes they are elderly people that like couldn't keep up with it at the end or, you know, mm-hmm, or haven't had a mm-hmm. hard time. And sometimes it's a little gross. You can finally like, okay, you know, I'm not like digging through. Like, if, if I, I usually now I'm really good at it. So I can sort of be like, oh, this is, I've walked into homes before. I'm like, nope, and walked right out because it's just yeah. like too gross or too weird or whatever vibe. Um, But yeah, it's definitely like, you know, there's, it gets real. So prepare yourself for that. If you're someone who doesn't like that, it might, you might want to go to a vintage store. It's curated for you, yeah. it's cleaned. It's easier and that's totally. why you're going to spend a little more on it for it, you know? Yeah. So it just yeah, depends exactly. on the kind of experience. You know, people it, always say that, like with vintage sellers, where I'm like, you know what? Like, like, oh my God, this is so overpriced. And I'm like, well, you know what? Someone had to go to whatever, whether a thrift store or a rag house, like a sale, find the thing. And oftentimes, clean it if it needed mm-hmm, to be, you know, mm-hmm. like figure out what it was. There's like a lot, there is a lot of time and effort for that. And you're paying for someone to do that for you versus Absolutely. like, you know?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. That is what you're then, paying for. The service. Yeah, and that's a value besides yeah. the
4: thing, whatever, the sweater, the pair of shoes, whatever. You're paying a service for someone to go find the thing for you, bring it to you in a great condition, and know what, identify it if, if that's the case, know what it is, and be like, hey, here's this beautiful thing you can buy for me. You don't have to do anything except for just like come to my store or find it on eBay or whatever, you know?
3: Mm hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
4: There is a value in that when people are – I get, like, annoyed and people are like, why is it so expensive? I could find this for $3. I'm like, yeah, then go find it. Yeah, good fucking luck, okay? You're going to go to, yeah.
0: like, 37 thrift stores. Have fun. Right.
4: And there's also a lot of duds. That's the other thing I'll say. I, I mean, I've highlighted and shown great photos and stuff of, like, all the banger sales I've been to. But there's a lot of dud sales or mm-hmm. just, like, regular sales where it's just, like, a regular house – with the beige couch and, you know, and the simple stuff. And it's like, not a big deal. And it's like, okay. And, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes I find practical things like a waffle maker there or whatever, Mm -hmm. but, you know, um, but they're not all going to be like that. So to find the, like, the special ones, I feel like it just takes a lot of time and a lot of just numbers of going to a lot of these sales.
0: Totally. Totally. And I would say if you are the kind of person like me, who's really sensitive to dust, bring a bunch of tissues. Yeah, or
4: also – well, now everyone's wearing masks anyway, but I I also sometimes have just worn – I get very sensitive to dust, too. I sometimes will wear a little mask if I'm really digging through a box of old clothes or something. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's a really good idea. Uh, Yeah. It's definitely dusty. I've been to some that are kind of mildewy. It's just old houses, you know? Right. That's that's what it is.
4: I do the smell test on, like, fabrics and stuff because I know now – um, I have a very, uh, sharp sense of like very good sense of smell, like a good palate. Um, so I can like, like if something's off, I can always like taste it or smell it. Um, but I do like, I, I can smell a fabric now where I'm like, you know what, this might have a touch of that like smell, but I know that I can get it out. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I never take stuff that's like really grow like you know, I have limits of like of course being like, this is like a nice thing that I'm gonna want to preserve. And if it if it can be preserved, I take it. Um but there's definitely stuff I've sad that I'm like, oh I'm just this is killing me right now that I have to leave this box of amazing fabric because it's just too bad. It's too far gone. Um which happens and that's
0: Yeah, totally. It does happen a lot. I mean, it's just old houses; they're leaky. Things are stuffed in the basement, the yeah, attic. Absolutely. I get it. I get it. Yeah. I'll also just yeah. say, like, don't be an asshole. Like, if you're super type A and competitive, could I invite you to perhaps go very early in the morning so the rest of us don't have to deal with you? Because yeah. that gives me anxiety when I'm trying to just be in the zone and enjoy my surroundings, yeah. and someone's like pushing me and rushing around and being crazy. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, unnecessary
4: this and i i mean but i've been to a lot of sales again i grew up with a, a fan like a mom who you know is a dealer and there's i mean dealers is a whole other world that's very intense um and mm-hmm. one of the reasons why i did not want to do that but um it's a lot of times like women like myself that i see that are like that and i like like myself yeah. in sense. like it's kind of like my age group like da, 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 you know and i'm sort of like you know what like l- listen and that's another reason why i didn't want to get into like vintage selling um just like straight up selling clothes and stuff because it's very competitive. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't love that vibe. You know, I wish it had, didn't no. have to be like, I do love fashion. I love, you know, finding a beautiful things, but, um, I don't really participate in that kind of stuff. And it's, it, it doesn't happen all the time. It's, it's here and there, but, um, yeah, it always bums me out when I see somebody like that where I'm like, oh, I know.
0: Yeah, you're I type. know. I know. I've, I've gone to a couple <laughs> things like that where I'm just like, come on. I, I, I don't know. It's also like when someone's being really obnoxious at the thrift store, I get really bummed out too because I sort of enjoy the peace of it. And so if someone's like pushing me or like having a really loud phone conversation or just behaving badly, I'm like, no, stop. Come on. This is like my moment (laughs) of like zen, you know? I
4: I (laughs) kind of like compare it to – I mean, which sounds like insane, but I sometimes I'm like going to church, you know? It's like my church. It's like Mm -hmm. my place to like not think – um, or like, I, I don't know if it's the right kind of a comparison, but I just like go in and I sort of like zone out and like, I don't think about all the things that are going on in my life. And I just like, I don't know, it's just like, a, I guess more meditative, but I'm always like, you know, church sales, um,
0: <laughs>
4: it's just like <sighs> um, everyone's like at the end of this is going to be like Jenny is so weird and we're um...
0: <laughs> and you two are both hoarders I can tell are yeah. <laughs> weird hoarders that found each other and we <laughs> <heard of> this. <laughs> well thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and talk to me about this I feel oh, yeah. like this is going to be some new information for people.
4: Yeah, I hope so. I hope it gets gets the word out, you know, on the on the vibe out in the scene. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> and I just wanted to add that, like here in Pennsylvania, it's like I I don't know why it's a lot less estate sales and it's more of these auctions. It's kind of similar. It's a little bit more fast paced, you know, because you got to like yes. get up there and I, it kind of stresses me out because I'm used to being able to like hem and haw about something before I buy it. Right. And I can't, right. but... Ooh, that is a little stressful. It is a little okay, stressful. Okay, you do
4: make a decision, yeah.
0: Yeah, so, uh, but man, you see some really incredible stuff and the people watching is amazing.
4: I'm like, sure. I'm very curious about this whole scene.
0: Yes, yes. Well... We're already planning that Jenny's going to come down here hopefully in January after the holidays because yep. all the auctions are kind of on hiatus right now, and we will get to go. Most of these are actually outdoors. You got to like bundle up, and the JCs are there like selling cocoa and stuff so you can stay alive. Oh, and oh, well. the other thing we learned is that you're supposed to bring your own lawn chair, and we didn't know that, and we don't even have lawn chairs, uh-huh. so we have to stand, and I got to work on that. Okay. <laughs> that good is good like – you you feel so awkward standing While everyone else is sitting, (laughs) yeah. And if you're there for like like a long haul, yeah, yeah. I mean, the last one we went to was like chairs. (laughs) I mean, these things you could be there for eight hours. Right. You could like the last one we went to was like, you know, they kind of give you a loose itinerary for the day. And this one was so huge that the auction was happening in three different spots on this property, and it would be like, okay, at seven o'clock, you know, Carl's going to start auctioning off all the tools. And at eight, we're going to get, you know, Clarice up here and she's going to do all the home goods. And then, you know, 10 a.m. we're going to start doing the furniture. And it just like went on and on. And there was like Christmas decorations and So they categorize it for you. Yeah, so you know yeah. Kind
4: of, yeah. Oh, that's good.
0: Okay. I mean, they Makes were, it easier. They were literally auctioning off NASCAR stuff for two hours. Wow. And like not interesting product to me at all, but like so yeah. fascinating to watch the people who were there for that so do you have to sift through the whole thing
4: or do they have a schedule where if you wanted to just hit up the housewares or something you could go at a certain time? Yeah,
0: yeah, you can that's what you can do. That's what you can do. There was a weird thing going on where between like the end of the home goods and then like there you know there was that NASCAR window but after the NASCAR window was going to be furniture and we thought we wanted furniture. But after two hours of NASCAR, we were like, we don't need any of this furniture. Like, let's go because this is going to go on for like six more hours. We could tell, and it, it was cold. You know, it was like really cold outside, so uh, we left. But not
4: for the faint of heart. I'm telling you. I've, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. It's a long haul. You gotta, but you gotta bring snacks. You gotta have, be prepared. You gotta bring. You know, it's you
0: gotta wear long underwear. I guess.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll do it. I
0: mean, I'm not. You know, I'm hard
4: stock, but.
0: Well, anyway, thank you so much, Jenny. I'm sure you'll yeah. be back again to talk about something else.
4: <laughs> yeah, you are gonna gab about it for a minute, so I'll definitely be back.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thanks again to Jenny for sharing all of her amazing estate sales stories with us. <laughs> She sent me a ton of incredible photos from all the sales she talked about and you can see them over on the website at clotheshorsepodcast.com. Just click on today's episode and don't forget that you can see some of Jenny's work in action on Instagram at late to the party people or on the interwebs at shoplatetotheparty.com. I actually bought a jacket from her earlier this year and it's made of fabric that she got at the magician's estate sale. You know, the smutty magician. <laughs> it feels cool to say that out loud. Like, I just love clothes with a story. So, go check out what Jenny has, okay? Also, I have some big plans for Clothes Horse in the works for 2021. And one of them is an official Clothes Horse blog. Blog. That's such a weird word. Meg of Scavenger Vintage reached out to me to talk about the complete lack of like cool, inspiring, yet accessible style blogs out there, especially one that is also sustainability and social justice minded. It just doesn't exist. All of the most iconic style blogs over the last few years have been filled with super expensive clothing, with content written by people who were just like completely out of touch. And let's be honest, for decades – Fashion has only been interested in dressing a certain type of person. Like, they'll take your money, but they're not going to put you in any of their marketing, you know? Fashion told us that being poor was bad, and being fat was unacceptable, and there were very specific gender roles that we had to adhere to, but they would, every few years, make it totally okay to dress androgynously for a few months, but only until the trend ended and you had to get back into your assigned gender role, right? Fashion was practically a megaphone for racist norms about skin color, hair, lifestyle, who gets to be a model and who's not, what's beautiful. (sighs) Fashion said that there were age guardrails around certain trends and garments. Like, fashion said growing older was a bummer. Fashion tricked us into wanting to buy things that weren't practical at all, like short sleeve puffer coats and open-toed suede boots and pre-shredded tights, things that we would buy and then instantly not be able to use. (sighs) So yeah, I guess I hate fashion. It's time to reject the idea of fashion. Fashion, this like industry, this like wasteful juggernaut, this just like poisonous fruit that's being sold to us every day. Instead, I want us to focus on style style is the personal creative expression of who you are and how you're feeling style welcomes everyone of all sizes shapes ages genders races and incomes style says do whatever you want and wear what makes you feel good style knows that taste is just a classist construct style has no gatekeepers telling us what we need to buy and when Style is a life well-lived because you feel like your best self and you know that there is nothing wrong and everything right about who you are. That's what the Clothes Horse blog will aim to do, to talk about style, to be an accessible source of inspiration and information. It's really important to me that we have a diverse array of contributors, models, faces, and content. I want to feature all the people who fashion has always ignored. So if you're interested in contributing, helping out, or you just have some great ideas, drop me a line at closehorsepodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at closehorsepodcast. I'm going to create, like I think, a Google form this week so I can get everybody's info in one place. And then Meg and I are going to have a major strategy session next week, and then we can figure out what happens next and loop you in. But I'm really excited about it, and I'm really grateful that Meg reached out to me about it. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse. If you like what you're hearing, say it along with me. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, tell your friends. Don't forget, if you leave a review this month, I'll send you an anti-brunch society pin and membership card. So why not do it right now? And don't forget, it's really important. We might be against brunch around here, but breakfast for dinner is still the best meal of all. Thank you to all of you who have shared our content, recommended us on Instagram. I love hearing from all of you and seeing your shares and hearing your comments and feedback. You're all the best. You guys are what keep me going, you know? Also, as always, If you have questions about a source of information for this episode or something I've said on the gram, hit me up. I have a huge bookmarks folder and I would love to share it with you. I got all the links, okay? Not to brag or anything. (laughs) And don't forget, if you have a question, an episode idea, a story to share, don't hesitate to reach out. You can call the hotline at 717 925 7417 there's the old-fashioned way. That's email, closehorsepodcast at gmail.com, or DM me on Instagram at closehorsepodcast. But I will warn you, if you send me a long message or a complicated question that I think will be good for the show, I'm totally going to ask you to call the hotline. <laughs> just sounds better coming from you, you know? If you want to meet other closehorse Horse listeners, please join the closehorsing Horsing Around Facebook group. I'll share the link in the show notes. We've got all kinds of conversation going on over there. And don't forget to check out the department. I co-host it with my friend Kim. You already know that. We talk about trends, tastes, all kinds of weird stuff. Our most recent episode is about that just tired trope of millennials killing things. We talk about restaurants, Applebee's, Sriracha, The Limited, Light and Lively, napkins, and so much more. Thanks as always to Justin Travis White for our music and audio support. Bye.